Hello, everyone, and welcome back once again to the TetraCast. This is RPG Sites weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. My name is Brian Vitale, and we've got a full house here today for today's episode. Let's go through uh, the other participants. We've got Josh Torres. I don't know why so many people showed up this week. It's really curious. Yeah, that's what a way to just like betray the betray the mystery. Uh, we have Chow Min Wu, as you've heard. Yes. We have Adam Vitale. Hello. James Galizio. Oh, Elden Ring. And joining us for the first time in a while, we have Cullen Black. I've upgraded from living under a bridge to living in a shack in the woods. It's okay. <laughs> So yes, as you might have anticipated, obviously this is the weekend of Elden Ring. Uh, we've talked about it kind of in a preview sense over the last couple of weeks. We had the um, the cameo from Alex Donaldson a couple of weeks back talking about the preview. We always also talked about it during the, the, the network test a, a month or so ago. But now the game is released. I think at least four of the six of us here have played it. I know Colin's played it a bit. Josh has. I have. We'll go into that a bit. James isn't working through it. Adam hasn't. Chow, have you been playing Elden Ring? I don't know if it's been something up your alley or not. Uh, I played about 15 hours. The oh, most so... embarrassing part was I stayed up till 8 a.m. playing Elden Ring, and then I crashed my car later on. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh my god. Whoa, Are you all right? Is everything good? It's, it's okay. It's okay. I just crashed okay. into snow, but uh, okay. I can see liquid leak, uh, leaking out from the car, and it's just the radiator. Uh, leaking cars, so I'll just get it fixed. But so, no, no like, damage on my end. Uh, uh, Dave, that really put the swerve over Just like Chow's car, I assume. Let's I'll let that be a warning. Don't uh, don't play Elden Ring throughout the whole night if you live in Canada and there's a bunch of snow around. Apparently, uh, but so, I got yeah, all those right. messages that said uh, try crashing, and he thought he'd get an <laughs> item. <laughs> but I'm all right, guys. There's nothing to worry about. All right, I hope your car is okay or your whatever vehicle you. You pilot. That's a Toyota. That's all it is. The old Toyota. <laughs> all right. So uh, to start out here, uh, we did have early access to Elden Ring. I went ahead and put up a review up on the site as well as up on the YouTube channel. Uh, so obviously, we'll, those are going to be there to look at if you're interested. But since we have at least five of us here that have put some time into Elden Ring, I think this is just going to be a lot of uh, first impressions with our initial time with the game. Obviously, I have played it to completion but i don't i know people are very you know sensitive to spoilers especially for this game so i don't want to say too much i'm only mostly going to just bounce kind of my feedback from what other people have experienced so far uh so i spent some time with well, Elden before Ring. before we yeah before yeah before you ask anyone else i uh, first and foremost as being the one who like you know reviewed it for the site we'd like i want to know like your first impressions going in and then like how your your perception like changed as you played through the game so my initial impression, both with how the game plays and like its premise and its storytelling conceit and all that, is that this this is going to sound super like banal, but I think it is true, is that this really does feel like a Dark Souls game. It's It doesn't have like Bloodborne or Sekiro kind of have unique themes or vibes that they're going for where this it still does. Yes, but it feels like it's more closely married to like what Dark Souls 3 was. Uh, from I just mean from like a, a tonality perspective, it's a little bit more just samey feeling in that front. Of course, the big change here is more in the not not in so much theme, but more in gameplay framework. Obviously, as an open world game, at least more conventionally so. And the amazing thing about Elden Ring is that it 
feels like a conventional open world game without any of the drawbacks that that confers where a lot of times when a game is open world i'm worried about you know oh there's just going to be like a bunch of copy paste checklist items or like you know a bunch of icons dotted on a map that eventually get like dull and samey or whatever where this game is absolutely not that this is the sort of game where like if you're the type of person that gets distracted or you have a task and then you just like get off the beaten path and you find another task and then you find another task and you just completely like i've had like 20 hour loops in this game where i set out to do something and i just get sidetracked for the next two days just not doing what i intended to set out to do i just kept finding new things like one one distraction leads to another leads to another in a in a good way where i'm constantly like uh, a phrase that i used in my video review was spoiled for choice where it just never felt like i was at an absence of something to look at or a new place to explore or a new challenge to overcome. Uh, and to the game's benefit, and I don't want to say detriment, but you have, you have to be like really flexible because people's experience with this game is going to be so dependent on just what direction they happen to head in first. So I'm playing a mage build because I haven't played like a sorcery faith build in a, in a game like this since like lightning spears were overpowered in dark souls two. And then like I spent eight hours not able to find a single other sorcery just because I happened not to look in the right places. Uh, James was able to tell me later, like, oh, there's a there's a NPC right under one of the ruins, like near the starting area that I just happened to have skipped. And I think that's sort of general. That's a very specific example. But I think that sort of general experience is just going to be like, you know, you might you might be finding a weapon early or an armor set early or you complete an NPC quest early. And that kind of dictates what sort of build you end up deciding on or what sort of gameplay style you end up uh, going with just based on, you know, the the emergent gameplay of what you happen to the happenstance of your of your journey. And everyone's going to have a completely different one because there's a suggestion of like a golden path and what you should do. But it's so low key and so not forced on the player that it really does feel like you're just at the whims of your own curiosity or right? your own wanderlust about what you want to go and what you want to accomplish, which I think and I, that, the, the fact that it maintains that throughout, like it took me 70 hours to beat the game and I was trying to be like thorough, but not exhaustive because, you know, I had an embargo deadline and I know I already, like I was watching someone else play. So I was watching Josh play just, just a bit ago. And like, I don't think I ever win here. And I feel like that's going to be like a common theme for like people sharing their experience with this game. Yeah, I think I, there was also. Oh, sorry, Josh. No, go for it. What were you going to say? I was just going to say there was a lot of streamers that kind of gave up on the game early because they went to this one path where they fight the first boss and they were expecting to beat it and they could uh, beat it and they were struggling, but they don't want to go explore and do more content to come back. Right? It's like as, the scent of pride. <laughs> as soon as I hit that first boss and died, I was like, okay, no, fuck this. I'm going everywhere else for the next seven hours. I'm ignoring this. I did yeah, the so opposite. Right. I stayed the seven hours to kill it. <laughs> so no, so that, that that's a thing. That's a thing. Like I've done both of those experiences. Like in the closed beta test, I went through that like you know quote unquote main path to get to that first major boss and like beat my head against it for you know several hours, and then uh, I and then I eventually in the closed beta test, like I went to go kill something in that beta test that gave me like a new weapon art that was like crazy, and that's the way you obtain it in the closed beta test. And here are completely different. Um, but uh, the, but then I went back and then like I used my wolf summon in the closed beta test along with a weapon art and was able to push past it just barely. And then in this one, uh, since I'm like, there's no invisible walls blocking me anymore. So 
whatever wherever I know it wants me to go, I'm gonna go the opposite way. So my uh experience early on was like I've had a certain path, I won't spoil which path, but uh the, my first boss was a, a boss like the their first name is Leo Nine. And like that was a that, that's a that's a pretty tough first boss uh, once you encounter it and that's like the first thing you do. And like that was another fight that I enjoyed learning its attack patterns and like just knowing when to evade and then after that I got like a, a really cool weapon out of it that requires like 40 strength to wield. I'm like, okay, well, this is the build that I want to go towards now because this weapon looks freaking cool. And that, that's what I'm working towards too. But right now, like I, I explored a shitload of the map, not, like not anywhere near like in the whole map, but I've gone to like really far off places. And like the only thing I've done is really the, the quote unquote first major boss eventually, which wasn't that bad because when I came back, I'm like, okay. Like my my build is pretty set. Like right now, I just have like my starting class is samurai, so I rocked the katana for a while. But then eventually, I got like these cool outfit from like this kind of um, they're like this group called the perfumers or whatever. And like I got their outfit, and then I also have like this oversized anchor as my weapon now. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, well, this is what I'm gonna rock for a while. This feels good. This looks great. Uh, I- I'm in it and. I don't like. I know roughly where it wants me to go next, but I'm like, the, there's been so many times in this game, and I can't remember the last time I played a game where I'm constantly going, "Wait a minute, what the fuck is that? Where the fuck am I?" And then as I'm just going to a cer- certain direction, "What the fuck is that? What the fuck is that? What the fuck is that?" That's what I mean. Like the, go ahead, James. Can I ask a question about spoiling exactly what's there? But I'm I'm assuming Brian has been there because obviously he's had the game much longer than us. Has anyone else found the lift next to the herb tree directly east of the starting area? I don't think so. I, 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 don't, I don't think I've, I've really fleshed out that area. Like, I, I definitely read a direction that wasn't that. And Yeah, uh, it's You it's mean that big, that circle on the map? No, no. There's, so there's that um, um, giant air tree in the forest to the east of the starting location oh and there's like a lift like really neck like really close to it is it one that goes down or up down it takes you underground all right i think i've been there yes uh it is a really cool zone yeah and that that's the thing where there's there's areas of this game where it's like i i would come back like i would come back to the the first two areas are called Limgrave. And then, like, oh, I forget the second one, Lemuria. And I would come back, like, in hour 50, 60, because I just wanted to speak to, like, an NPC, because I was completing a side quest, and more on that later. Or I wanted to revisit a vendor, and I'm like, wait a minute, I never saw this. And then I would go back and be like, in, in some cases, it, it feels a bit incongruent, where, like, for instance, there's an area near Stormvale Castle called the Stormvale Catacombs. You can probably get there in, like, the first three or four hours. But I just completely missed it because it's like a doorway in the sideway of a, in the side of a cliff that you could just, if you're not paying attention, walk right past. And then I go in there and I'm like super overpowered and it feels kind of interesting. Like, oh, this would have been helpful 20, 60, 20, 30, 40 hours ago. But then also you have the opposite experience where you're like, I ended up someplace that's way too tough for me, but I bet there's really shit good, really good shit here. Uh, I mean, a good shit here. So, like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tough it out. And even though I might struggle bus a bit, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see what I can grab here, and then end up uh, using uh, for my build. One thing I, I believe this was a quest reward. 
is that I was trying to play a magic build, like I said, but there was a couple bosses like the Leonine boss that uh, Josh mentioned that are way too, like, they're melee focused and aggressive that trying to stay back and cast spells doesn't work very well. And I ended up finding a katana that, like, scaled on intelligence. And I'm like, wait a minute, that's perfect. So I ended up being like, uh, I wasn't intending this. And I think this is going to be like a common theme for most people's experience with this game is like, you, I wasn't intending to be a katana wielding mage, but it ended up like fitting into my build so perfectly that I like, I ended up relying on that later in the game. Like it ended up being like my go-to where I almost played more of a mage knight than a sorcerer. And like, if I had never gotten that weapon, I have no idea what I would have ended up doing. Uh, maybe I would have found like a different, like um, a different family of sorceries. Cause there's like, there's like the glimmer magic and then there's like the the gravity magic and then there's like different families of magic there's like the lunar magic um and certain weapons will like all will bolster different s- schools of sorceries so there's like there's ways you can kind of specialize uh so even then like I could have I could have easily like started focusing on a different school of sorceries instead but nope I found this magic katana that had like a weapon art that like does like the whole anime like unsheath your sword uh, really quickly sort of thing I'm like yeah. all right I'm, I'm doing this now and then speaking of uh you mentioned the armor that you got uh i know a lot of people say that fashion souls or fashion i know this isn't a souls game but trumps uh kind of the stats that you get because usually the stats on armor is kind of uh incidental and you can't really upgrade armor so it's just kind of you know it shifts your your poise up or down a, a tiny bit or your defense up and down a tiny bit but in the second area, so this is this is this is earliest in the game at the academy. I found a headpiece that increased my intelligence by three. So that's like three free level ups for your intelligence for me as a mage character. Only this helmet is the most godforsaken ugly thing ever. It's it's like it's like a stone statue's helmet with a giant like Aristotle beard, with nice. like a cr- with, with like a cr- with like crowns. If you fought the enemies at the academy, that it looks just like them. With like a crown of glimmer stones at the top, and I'm like, well, this thing is ugly as sin, but plus three intelligence, that trade off is worth it. So I ended up wearing that throughout most of the time with the game. I probably didn't have to, especially at the end when three stat points doesn't really mean a whole lot. But I was like, well, I'm I'm married to this now. So in all of the cutscenes, of which there's not that many, I was just this ugly little uh, top headed, top heavy stone mask dude. And I don't know. I thought that was enjoyable. And if you want to see it, you can watch my video review on the YouTube because I'm wearing that about half the time. I, I think that's a really magical thing about this game. Like, the, like when I play this game, the 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 feelings that I get when I play this game like remind me of like when I, the first time I played a Kingsfield game on the fucking PlayStation. And like, it's it was one of those games where it was like you mentioned earlier. It's like pure wanderlust. Like the game doesn't really have, you know, like. A, a UI that tells you what you need to do or like a text that says, hey, you go here next or like that's constantly reminding you on the screen. It's kind of just like letting your curiosity uh, wonder and like lead you. And I think that that's like kind of the most magical part like in this time of like these Souls games is like when people don't really know like what's like what's the optimal thing, what's the golden path, what's the like and then just sharing with each other within their communities like oh i found this oh this was my experience oh this is like a crazy thing that happened to me like well it's so cool that like to, to me it's like it sounds crazy but to me it's so cool that like things that are like, easily missable like like a dungeon that might have like an npc in it that just like on the 
like cliffside like you won't maybe you won't you'll miss that and you won't see it like for another 30 40 hours because like it's just something that wasn't in like in your like field of vision that you noticed and like you kind of and then so you're kind of forced to adapt on the fly i'm like okay well these are the the tools that i have at my disposal but this is like how i like to play so and then there's like this obstacle in front of me like how am i gonna you have to think about like what's a strategy that's like right for you at that moment it's not like something that like you're gonna you know try to find a guy it's like oh what's the what's the most best build for this fucking thing because i missed this it's just like no no one not even reviewers have like have that like crazy understanding of that at this point in the game because you know they obviously got code late and you know a lot of like you know there's a there's like a split on like whether reviewers finish it or not but that's not really the point of whether they finish it or not to provide an opinion on it what it's just more so that like, the game it. is so so massive yeah yeah, you finished it, but you didn't like 100% like the map. Right, and, like, I, I just I couldn't afford to be exhausted. Yeah, and, uh, Adam was actually watching me play it when I was in like the final string of bosses. And I just, I know that this game has multiple endings. I can't spoil them because I don't know what they are. I just got what I presume is the standard, you know, basic ending. But I was at that point where I'm like, I'm really struggle busting against this boss, but I have an embargo coming up. Do I just go off and try to level up a bunch of times or do I, do I just push through? And eventually I ended up finding a place where I could get some experience pretty quickly and just like boost up my vigor a bit. And I, it was worth doing. But there were times, like Chow said, that you just kind of have to struggle your pride and say like, I can't do this yet. Yet, either through skill or just kind of being at a disadvantage with stats so i'm just gonna go i you know i at this point by the time you're like five ten hours into the game you've probably got like three or four or five things on the back burner that you've wanted to check out or wanted to look at but you've just been constantly distracted and engaged to like not have a chance so at any point that you hit a wall there's almost always like all right i'll just do this other thing that i had earmarked for later like hours and hours ago that i'll just go back and do now because why not um and you talk about like missing potentially like missing like a dungeon area but the same is also true for like npcs and there's been a ton of dialogue about how the quests work in this game it's not really any different than other souls games where they're not marked in a quest log usually npcs will give you verbal hints and they're they're not going to mark your map obviously unlike most souls like games this game does have a map um where most don't classically don't but for instance there is an npc very early in the game you can meet her in like the first couple hours named selen she i think it's selen she sells you a lot of glimmer sorcery and i kind of went back there and bought all of her sorceries out because even if there was sorcery i already had she had like additional dialogue the more that you bought and then eventually it was like okay she has nothing more for me that's fine okay whatever and then i go back just randomly like 40 hours later, I have no reason to talk to her again. And I'm like, all right, I'm just going to talk to her again, because why not? I'm in this area. And then all of a sudden she had new dialogue. I don't know what triggered it. I don't know like how long I could have done this, but she had like two quests for me. One was to visit some area further in the game to find someone. And one was basically to do a quest for her where she ended up giving me a key item that I don't know how to use. Like the quest isn't done yet. I'm trying to be like vague so I don't spoil it. But she ended up giving me a key item that's like sitting in my inventory saying like it has with like a very nebulous item description. I'm like, where do I use this? I have no idea. And so there's also just kind of be like that, um, that sense of sharing. Uh, it's kind of unfortunate in a way that eventually this will all be cataloged on a wiki or on extra life somewhere. Cause right now it's just kind of like you, some, some people might be auspicious and lucky enough that they end up be able to progress one of these storyline threads through to its end. Or some might, I'm, I'm sure I'm, positive that i completely whiffed on something where i never even met a person and one other footnote i want to say is that usually the game is pretty cognizant of when you like 
it is flexible enough that even when you miss a specific trigger, it understands that and allows you to progress anyways. For instance, there's this one quest that I had where this one person was like, hey, meet me at the, the Mistwood Ruins because I want you to help me with something. And I just completely put it off. And then later, I met that character again in another place. And he's like, so you missed our encounter, huh? So the fact that it like accounted for that, I thought was really impressive. It, it didn't just like stall out and like fall through the cracks. It was like, it, like accounted for it and said, oh, you, this is the way that you progressed this quest or failed to. And what I want to get to, my, like the main crux of my review is that when I finished this game, partially because I didn't see everything and I know I didn't see everything, but I immediately wanted to play it again. And that's for an open world game. I've never experienced that. Usually by the time I finish, like, uh, I don't want to pick on any one game, but like a Horizon or an Elder Scrolls or or whatever. Like by the time I'm done, I'm like, all right, that's good. I'm never playing that or an Assassin's Creed. Like I'm never playing that again because that took so long. And, you know, it's my experience next time is going to be 100% or nearly the same. Or an Elden Ring, it definitely, definitely doesn't have to be. So uh, I probably won't do it right away, but I am, I, I'm almost certain that I'll play through this at least one more time this year, pick a different build, go a different way at the start, uh, try to be a little bit more, more diligent about uh, progressing the, the NPC quests and all that stuff. So if that's not an accolade that I think this should pin in its cap, it definitely should be. Yeah. I'm really glad that like this, that this game managed to like somehow uh, like avoid like the, the, the major like concern that I had going into it after the closed beta test where you know, I was like, it seems really solid from the closed beta test, but I'm not really, I'm kind of mixed on like having the compass there on my screen, like, uh, like uh, feeling it, uh, like, I feel like the, the presence of a compass UI makes it feel too pointed and like too, you know, like I, I want to be able to like feel lost in this world and like having a compass there will make, uh, in, in my mind at that, at that point in time was like, it, it'll feel too guided, but uh, like, I only know, really notice the compass if I need to go find like where I died to go get my souls if I had like, a decent amount. That's the only time I've ever really like paid attention to it, aside from like NPC dialogue that says, "Oh, to the like north of here in this region, you'll find this landmark," or if you go travel a bit more south, you'll find you know this castle that I want you to do something for me. And the, uh, but other than that, when I'm exploring, I kind of like mentally block out the compass. Like I don't really notice it there. And that, that that's kind of I'm I'm really glad that like that's how it ended up being more where the sightseeing that you're doing is more interesting than like having to look at a compass and looking like oh am I facing the the right direction to find where I'm going because that that's that, that was kind of like my major concern of like well it, 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 I I felt like at the time like oh it's gonna it's gonna feel like I won't be able to feel lost in this world if I always have this compass in my face but somehow you know I've kind of just been mentally blocking it and. It's been working out. There's been a very few times, very rarely, where the a quest will mark your map. Not often mm. at all. I think it happened like three times throughout my whole game. But the, the map is so well designed and so intricate that there are times where, like, all right, I, I guess I'll head to that mark. And then I overshoot it, mainly because I just... Oh, that's interesting. Oh, what's that? Oh, what's oh wait, I completely whiffed on my intended destination. So even even in the cases where it does mark your map, which again, it was like two or three times in 70 hours, 
it i almost i almost had to like make a point to like all right focus up brian you gotta you gotta go there because you want to you want to carry this through and very you're not this is a game where you're definitely not playing the ui and there's no like checklist of you found all the landmarks in the Limgrave region or whatever which thank god yeah. Be- yeah, <laughs> because thank god. that that, that would have been oh, one god. way to steal all the magic out of it like oh yep i've exhausted all of the uh all of the ruins in this place time to move on to the next Instead, the game is less confident enough in itself to be like, yeah, if you if you walk back the Stormvale catacomb, if you walk past the Stormvale catacombs entrance, we're not going to tell you that you missed it. You you got to come back and find it for yourself. Um, or I or think if, that, go ahead. Oh, not to interrupt, I just wanted I wanted to latch onto that before you uh, went past it. I think it not being an open world game with, like you said, like gaming the UI in a sense where it's not it doesn't become a checklist. There's nothing about Elden Ring. That's like because I know so many people who played Breath of the Wild who said, "Okay, I need to get every single Korok thing. I need to fill out all these things that it told me to fill out. I need to do all of this," and then they hated it. Where I don't play open world games like that, and developers for open world games kind of skew for to one of those two perspectives. And Elden Ring is more in my camp, where it is literally just about go explore. Mm-hmm. We're not going to tell you anything. Just whatever you want to do like honestly i feel like this kind and i know that it's you know people dog on others for comparing elden ring to breath of the wild which i'm not really doing i'm just saying i feel like that kind elden ring gets that pers like that one thing that breath of the wild was trying to do where it's like okay we don't want to tell you too much we just want to give you one goal and we want you to just do whatever and elden ring is like the most I've been invested in a open world game like this in so long. It's yeah, it's, it's hard to say like exactly what even is. I, even after I've reached the credits, I don't know like what is required to get there because even, and you heard this, if this, you heard this, if you listened to Alex on our podcast two weeks ago, like Stormvale castle, you can skip, which is insane to think about it because that place is intricate. You can spend like three or four hours there. It's got obviously a first major boss. It feels like it should be obligated, but it might not be. I don't know for certain. And obviously, since video games are you know designed by people at the end of the day and you know crafted or crafted components, eventually people will be able to suss out exactly like what is the golden path. But the fact that it is so like obfuscated and you know it feels like everything is optional but everything is equally meaningful which is kind of like a yeah. weird a weird and very tricky balance where sometimes like an optional area like well of course this area was just for like an extra piece of gear or whatever but sometimes it's like i just spent 10 hours in this place and i don't know if i was required to but or i just spent 2 hours in this place and this might have been required i don't know cuz it all feels like all equally valid whether you're in stormvale castle which is placed right in front of you or you go where james has said and you end up in this like underground river fortress place and you're like i don't know if i was ever intended to be here but here's where i am now and i'm going to explore it just as long as i explore the the stuff that's on the apparent golden path yeah the level is up in here i'll go for it um so i'm the one person in this group that hasn't played elden ring but i have played roughly 10 hours of horizon and I know like this is the comparison everyone's making, but I do think Horizon, not to get too deep into it, does improve on the first game in quite a few ways, but it's exactly the sort of like traditional open world checklist sort of game that people have come to expect. Like in the time that I have played it, like you literally find a watchtower and you pick up a lens from it, and then it, the game is like, you found one out of six lenses. Uh, um, uh, and then uh 
like I, there was like this sort of quest. I forget exactly what it's called, but you like piece together like a vision of a tower. And it's like, you have found the tower vision for this region. So it's like, oh, okay. So I guess there's one of these in each region, which, you know, kind of feels pretty, it feels very gamey. Um, and I guess there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. It's all optional and it's, and, and whatnot, but it, it's, it's so typical is, is the thing. Um, right. yeah, so like Elden Ring doesn't come, do any of those things. Yeah. It's come know, up in terms of like checklisting. I, I think it, that's that Souls influence, which if you had told me open world Dark Souls, I'd be hesitant, like years ago, of course, but it leads to such a, just this genuine, weird, authentic experience where one of the first, this is one of the only times I've ever played an open world game where I've actually felt like, again, I hate to use the immersive term, but it is like that. And I'm so happy I'm playing it now before all the secrets are revealed and there's guides and like you were saying which is just like okay so uh in maybe like a month or a couple months we're gonna know every single thing we're gonna know how this game ticks all this we're gonna know what all the event tr uh, triggers are but it's like for now right now it's such a cool experience i, I, I freaking loved it uh, i was gonna say we never talked about the horse oh, we talked about uh, the horse yet the <laughs> sure I, I don't i don't want to go first on this though someone else go talk about the horse talk about the spectral steed torrent yeah well what about the, the horse chow i, I don't, like the combat i don't think the horse is that clumsy i do think that the weirdest thing with the horse is that sometimes when you press the jump and you already got hit then the horse will jump afterwards that's the weirdest thing i would find i uh i got glitched where i tried to i got on my horse and i jumped into like around a tree thinking i'd jump on the tree and then my guy got glitched in the air for like 20 seconds then he died hilariously <laughs> i hear that's a common thing specifically with the horse nice Th but, this is oh sorry not i was gonna say I, but the horse is made for killing all the field bosses in combat like as soon as you get on the horse those two bosses that were in the way in the beginning of the area was super easy with the horse and the other boss which is, I don't want to spoil it, but you'll see it. it's a very big creature. And that was super easy once you use the horse. You, it, the game actually designed to tell you to take advantage of the horse in this situation. I'm, I'm glad that they, the horse is not just there, that they specifically designed combat with the horse, and then they designed bosses to be fought with the horse. And you can fight the bosses without it, but it feels like it's made to be, like, there's, um, I'm trying to talk around spoilers here, there's a bridge at night where you can find a unique enemy and it's basically it's like get, get on your horse idiot like if you want to stand a chance against this guy like does that has anyone found this guy or there's am I multiple of that type of enemy with different weapons uh, across the world damn it well, well uh I unfortunately like i i thought the horse was fine but i was a type of person where i ended up like there was actually a, a late game boss fight and Adam actually watched me fight this, fight this guy where I struggled with a horse and like, you know what? I think this fight would be easier if I'm just literally not on my horse because maybe I'm just better suited to that or more experienced or like my build is better. You know, I, I want to use my flashy katana, which I, you, you can't use like the weapon arts on your horse or whatever. So like I literally, while this guy was on horseback, I would literally just get off my horse. And then I ended up like winning on my second try. So I don't know if it was just like particular to my build or maybe my gameplay style or maybe just my experience having obviously played so many other 
Souls-like games with the more standard combat that I kind of found myself getting off the horse more often than not. And the few times that I was on my horse, there's there's a type of enemy called like a tree. There's a tree sentinel, which you meet like super early in the game. And then the, the type of enemy that you meet at the minor um, Erd trees, where since I was a magic caster, it was kind of trivial for me where I would just like run in a circle spamming the gleamstone magic and just be like all right that was easy like but i kind of i kind of made that bet for myself it's like well you could have made that more engaging if you just didn't spam magic from horseback but like well this is what i want to do this is this is safe and this is easy <laughs> i don't know uh oh, the, the, like uh the, now that you mentioned them like uh i, I had like the the like the two different experiences like with the with the the earth tree avatars uh, yeah, you'll 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 meet them at a certain point uh, for, for the people out there there's a bunch um, of them. Not yeah there's a bunch yeah so, uh, like the first one, like I was like, okay, yeah, the the this uh, this boss fight, like you know, the, it's definitely like made for uh, horse. And that was the first time I really like dabbled with like uh, extended boss fight with, uh, on horseback at that point. And like it, it was pretty cool, like you know, having like having the dedicated jump button. Like we'll get into that later because dedicated jump button is insane. But like it, it was cool, like seeing like the attack patterns. Like okay, I can jump this and double jump that, and then I can get over it and then start attacking from behind. But then there was like this uh, location for uh, Urgy Avatar that had like a certain new attacks at uh, at a certain point uh, in this boss fight, and the lo- location of this boss fight was like it was very cramped. It wasn't open, so it was it, it was one of those things where I had to like balance. Like I could like lure this thing out to a more open field, but there's more enemies there, and then I have to worry about that. It was like a uh like an drawn out boss fight and i was like okay this is like it can work but it's like it's a lot of effort so what what i did was basically you know what i'm gonna go in there i'm gonna summon um i i did one of my summons i think i I summoned like the the noble sorcerer like just one of the uh things that like the the scrolls that you have like the ashes of war i summoned him and um and then i just ran in there on foot and then just learned boss attack patterns and like when it was safe to like just uh do a double roll into like a heavy attack into like into like another roll into a heavy attack and then just like just visually like uh like learning like hey these are these are the attacks these are the roll timings for them and then since i have like my npc summon at the back just going at it they're build, building up stagger damage like over time so i'm just like so I just like basically got three or four staggers throughout that fight because I kept that person alive. They might be doing minor damage, but they're building up stagger for it, and it felt really rewarding after like 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 almost half an hour of attempts, just like pushing through it and be like, like I fucking did this. Like I, uh, it felt so rewarding after that. James, what weapon the, did you end up using? I'm just curious because I know that yeah. Josh ended up using like the big anchor. I ended up using a katana slash magic. I'm just wondering what other people ended up gravitating towards. I'm currently using the axe from the first uh, shard bearer. All right, Alden. Uh, okay, so originally I I was using a spear. I really liked the spears. There was like the default spear with a vanguard. I went vanguard because I usually am boring and I play knights in these games. And this is the only FromSoft game I've ever played that gives the knight a cool skill. Has anyone else played Vanguard? Nope. I did a strong shield right. counter. Okay. So like if you're blocking and they hit you, you you can hit R2 to grab whatever you're carrying and slam it right into them and do a wow. ton of damage. It's great. I love it. 
And now I'm probably only going to play Vanguard for any other playthroughs I do. But I was using a spear for a bit because I liked the range. It really helped me in the early areas with like all the bats that were flying around. Um, I got my ass kicked, and then I just went to explore. And in the cor- the bottom right corner of the original map, and when I say original map, like before everything expands, it's like on a cliff a little bit. It's really hard to describe. I, I'm not good with the names, but there's this little circle on the map that caught my attention. I was like, what is this? I went there, and I won't spoil it, but there's a guy there. He has a really cool greatsword. I have now stuck with greatswords for the rest of my time playing, uh-huh. and I'm just going to run greatswords because I just I, I love it. All the greatsword arts in this game are so cool. So I'm just using this really weird looking great sword and I'm going to just keep continuing to find them. Well, there's also like two types of weapons because, well, I don't know exactly how the categories work, but it seems like there's two general families. There's the weapons that are upgraded like classically with like the smithing stones. And those are the ones that you can tweak like what arts of war are on them and like what style damage they do. And you can like use the, uh, the spells or the items to coat them. And then there's like the special weapons, which are upgraded using like the, uh, the shimmering smithing stones or whatever they're called. And they're, they usually have a lot more parameters that are kind of baked in that you can't shift. And so I ended up the, the, so because you only have a certain amount of smithing stones or whatever, which are the ones that are used to upgrade weapons, you, you do have a a decent chance to like try out a bunch of weapons because you might say like, all right, I'm going to use my regular smithing stones to upgrade my spear or my greatsword. But I also found this like magic katana. I keep going back to that because I was enamored with it. They use the, the, the other upgrade currency where it's like, all right, I can upgrade this without the expense of upgrading my, my astrologing, my astrologer's staff. So the game gives you enough resources to be a little bit uh, inventive or you're not you're not always going to be like locked into like, well, I'm already invested all my gear, all my upgrades into this particular piece of gear. You'll you will reach that at some point. You are not going to be able to upgrade like 10 weapons past a certain point because eventually I found myself like. Uh, like in all of these similar games, the, the upgrade items are tiered. Uh, it's kind of interesting that they, 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 the tiers are literally just like smithing stone one, smithing stone two. I kind of prefer when it's like smithing, smithing stone, smithing shard, smithing gem, smithing crystal, like back, back to like the pure blade stone or whatever. From what, 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 if it's like, what if it's just a smithing stone, but uh, green and then blue and then purple. Uh, <laughs> the, I, just, I, thought, I thought it was just interesting where it's like they didn't do any flavor on the type of item like smithing yeah. shop. They're just like, nope, this this is a smithing stone three. And this is what I call a smithing stone four or whatever. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, anyways, like there was times where it's like, oh, I kind of I kind of want to use and try another weapon. But this would require me to go back and um, grab some of the lower tier smithing stones. Now, eventually, if you are lucky enough, you end up finding these items called uh bell bearings and you give them to an npc at the hub area who ends up selling you kind of materials so it's like instead of grinding for these items you can just trade runes for some early stones or whatever but you have to be lucky enough to find them i found the bell bearing that allowed me to buy smithing stone threes and fours but not ones and twos so i'm guessing like I missed something early on because I would assume that would be relatively early, but I just happened to not find it. And it's like, kind of, you just kind of have to like roll with the punches where it's like, I don't have this capability. I never found this item. I could obviously just be like, all right, I'm going to go back to Limgrave or probably one in an earlier area. And it, were there, if there was any dungeons that I never fully explored, I might as well go do that now. Cause I know I missed something. And that, that, that feeling 
uh, you kind of had constantly. Another constant feeling that we that I had was, and I use this analogy in my review, both the written and the video, is in Dark Souls 1, at the very beginning, you can either go to the Undead Burg or to the Catacombs. Obviously, one of these is way, way easier and way more conducive for new players than the other. But nothing is literally stopping you from going through the Catacombs as like a Soul Level 1 MOOC or whatever. Elden Ring feels like that the entire time where it's like, I am only I am only rune level three or whatever. I don't know what they call the levels in this game. You can you can run east to like the third major region of the game. And it's one that's not been shown in most trailers or any trailers. And nothing is stopping you from going there. You can go there and struggle bust it a bunch, but there's nothing saying you can't. There's a there's a point in the story later in the game where you have to take this giant lift up to um, the capital. And the capital is a major region later in the game. That's all. I'll, I'll leave it at that. And I never <laughs> so, found. Uh, uh, before you go on, the, the, the now you're reminding me. Early on, very early on, I found the chest that fucking teleported me straight to the capital. And uh-huh. uh, and, and then like I was like, where the fuck am I? I look at the map. I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> I'm like here. And then like and then I'm, like and then I was giving it to some friends. And like, what if I'm just like at the final boss of the game? <laughs> and they just be here right now. I I, then, I am waiting for the Breath of the Wild moment to go back to that comparison. You know, fighting Ganon with a broomstick, where someone fights the uh, whatever with the whatever the, the equivalent of that, where it's like, here's my speed run of Elden Ring. And, 90 minutes or something like so, that. what was really funny like and this like this uh, this thing is like i got to the to, to i for the teleport and then i just like i took a few steps forward it's like there's like this gigantic enemy in front of me and like i'm doing no fucking damage i can withstand maybe one hit just barely and i'm like i what the fuck am i gonna do like I, i'm stubborn enough to try and do this but then what happened was um i like retreated to see if like it'll follow me and it like got stuck at like the doorway and it was like like near an edge so it just like somehow clipped through like the boundary and like just fucking fell and that's it oh i'm like and th- did okay. it die yep it died <laughs> like all righty <laughs> so, uh, i i just ran through like roll rolling like a maniac and grabbed the items he was guarding and then just tailed it out of there and returned in like 20 hours he wasn't guarding but, anything that's the thing there was, uh, there, there was no it's like a balcony thing like there was there was an, there was an item to his left but i don't remember what it was i i remember thinking that it was gonna be more useful than it was because like here i am like at a way later part of the game this is gonna be a really good item and I, I don't i don't remember it being that but there was a few times where it's like i don't i can't clear this area yet but i'm just gonna roll through like a maniac and just grab all the shit and leave because I don't know not, who's going to stop yeah. me. Um, but the story that I was telling was this lift that takes you to the later areas. You have to find like these key items in order to operate it. And I'm like, I don't know where to find these items, but what is this cave here? And eventually I went through like this series of dungeons. I say series. I think it was two back to back where you just kind of like go up the, ca- the scaffolding, go through a mine, fight an optional boss. And then I'm at the top of where the lift would take you without ever finding those items. So it's like, yes, the, the game is suggesting you should find these items and take this lift. We have some NPCs mention it to you. Uh, this is kind of the, the intended path. But also you can just make your way up without those items because we're not going to stop you. You just have to go through another, you know, a few other challenges to get there. And that's the sort of thing where it's like, I wonder if you could skip Stormvale Castle, skip the skip the second area, skip the lift, and just like you could probably make your way to the capital and not just the warp area, but like legitimately without clearing like any story bosses. Or that's I can't even say that for sure. But if the game just feels so open, which I think is like a a true accomplishment the fact that it feels like you're really not gated by anything that the game is saying like nope there's a there's a gate here you got to clear this before you go forward it's 
it's really like it even accounts for the fact where it's like if you don't have the lift key you don't need it you can get it if you want it's that that's an option for you but that's it's just an option yeah the the level design considerations of this game are like really crazy in that respect just like just in terms of like a, a structure like that you're talking about like you don't know whether this thing's really required to get for you to get to the next point like a significant point in the game but also just like it it rewards you just like just for totally taking something like a completely crazy out of nowhere path like for example i went into this area where it had like these tree roots going to this like tower there's a really big tower and i'm like i wonder if i can platform from the tower roots to like the little scaffoldings like surrounding this tower there's like the very thin like walkways like i can like squeeze myself through there and i did i'm just kind of like navigating this tower through like the little mini 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 walkways like kind of uh surrounding it and like there's actual enemies like in that path like Uh, so it's like really and be like i found that tower but i couldn't find the right path so i left and then I was talking to Alex. And I'm like, where do you do this thing? It's oh, it's this tower near here. I'm like, wait a minute. I was there, but I never found the path. So yeah, I found the tower, but I couldn't like quite navigate it properly. That's all I wanted to say. Yeah. So I'm like walking through this narrative pathways and like, and it's really it, crazy because like I'm taking like this really, really insane route, like throughout this tower, just like the exterior of like got like dropping down to like really narrow pathways of like where it looked like you should slide off, but I didn't. And then, like, at the, like, kind of, like, quote-unquote, the end of it, like, where I could actually go, there's, like, an item at the end of there with, like, a camouflaged enemy. I'm like, they expected someone to go through it, like, here, through this? That's, you guys are freaking crazy. <laughs> there's, a, there's a ton of stuff like that. Like, just now, I've been still playing. I'm in that underground area I was talking about, and I was like, huh, how do I get to this item up here? So I find that as I go up through these ruins, there's a section of the uh, wall that you can start clambering up and it kind of like half looks like you shouldn't be able to. And no, there's like an entire path that you like climb up on the top of the wall and you just walk across like, I guess scaffolding and probably not the right term. And you just, there's so much stuff like that where it's like, if you look for it, you can find it, but the game doesn't really point it out. There's there's yeah. a part later in the game where uh, I'm trying to be very generic because this is past the first two areas where there's an item way up high and you're like, I have no idea how to make my way up to there. Oh, well, I'll, I'll come back to it. And then like 20 hours later, I'm in a completely different region. I fall through a hole and I end up at that item. and I'm like, holy shit. Like, I forgot I even made a mental note of this. And then it turns <laughs> out that item wasn't anything I needed. Like, I'm a magic character and it was like a, a weapon that I wasn't going to use or it was something like like it ended up being like underwhelming but just the fact that it like looped me back to there like oh my god like i had completely pushed this out of my mind because i didn't know how to make it and there's just it's weird because a lot of souls ish game design is designed like to about falling into place because you historically couldn't jump until i believe sekiro and then of course you can jump in this game so it now not only has that classic design about making your way up and falling down into like other areas but you can also jump so you can clamber up like ruined like rubble or like up sloped hills that require you to like have additional elevation and the same is true for on horseback where there's like cliff faces that have like almost look like grave headstone markers coming out of them perpendicularly where you can like the horse is a little bit tricky to control just because it's so damn fast 
and it like accelerates quickly, but there's areas where you can like jump up these cliff faces because they seem to intentionally design these little platforms that you can work your way up where it's like, sometimes they'll be nice and they'll give you like one of those wind gusts that take you up. But otherwise it's like, uh, if you want to get your way up here, you gotta, you gotta do some platforming in your open world RPG now. And I'm I'm hundred percent okay with that. Cause there were some little tricky, like actual timing maneuvers that I made my way up a cliff. And then I'm like, I don't know if I was supposed to get here yet, but they allowed me to. I, I guess that's yeah. one I have to get away from the mindset of was I supposed to be here? Because the answer is always apparently like no or yes. <laughs> Just nothing stopping you, I guess, is the way is the way it has to be worded. Yeah, you, you could you could jump in older Souls games, but it was like very wonky because you had to like start a dash and then during that dash you press like circle again and it like you do like the oh, little right. hop. Yeah, I, I, I no remember that now. The double that. the double yeah. circle jump. Yeah. Like but it's never like a level design consideration. Very rarely what, what right. was it. But yeah, like like you said, it was until second where they had like a dedicated jump button, and then like that's just and they really make use of it in this game. Like there definitely be like boss patterns or like clearly you have to jump this or else you're going to take a lot oh, of damage. That reminds that. me of a, there's a I was in a later part of the game where I was on a uh, I was on a like a a beam, and uh, there was an enemy like on a on an area somewhat lower than me. I I could jump to him, but I'm like you know what I'm just going to cast magic from afar because I'm a coward. And then he like jumps up to me and I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like it works, it works both ways. Uh yeah. so that, I was like, I thought I was clever, but I was not because they can jump too and often much farther than you can. So there you go. Not to mention there's some enemies that it's like, oh, I'm on horseback, I can run away from them. No, you can't. No, nope, they're they're <laughs> just as fast as you are, if not faster, apparently. Yeah. And that's all but before yeah, before we move on, I just want to say like it really, really, really sucks that this game shipped on PC the way it is right now. Um, the, like I've been having the stuttering issues, and the worst time, uh, the worst part uh, that I had like the stuttering issues was was just like on the first tree sentinel boss that like you've encountered. The first thing you do, like you encounter, yeah, basically the very the very world. first one that you meet. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like I didn't actually like do that boss until like maybe seven or eight hours later because I went a totally different direction. Uh, and then, like, I went back, and I, you know, after I got uh, my horse and everything, and I was like, I had like decent, um, like you know, a decent equipment to to take it out uh, at that point. But like fighting that thing on torrent, like around that starting area, was horrendous for me. There was constant like drops in frame rate, stutters. So like it just messed up my timings on everything, and I'm like, oh, this is so frustrating. I'm like, why this is even happening? Like that, there are still like really bad stutters like throughout like my journey so far. But like nothing, nothing as close as like how badly that first area was with that tree sentinel. I will say I really, when I was when I was playing it, I was encountering all these stutters, and it was worse on the pre-release version. Like the day one patch, at least for me, helped a little bit, but no, it did not eliminate it. And I was like tearing my hair out because I don't know if this is just my disposition, but I was like, "What's wrong? Do I have something configured poorly? Do I have my graphics card like forcing some sort of syncing or some sort of filtering that I shouldn't be?" Like I thought it was something on my end. But then I started learning, like, no, everyone is having these problems. It's not on you. It's not your setup. And I'm sure that eventually people will sort out exactly, like, ways to alleviate it. Uh, you know, DS fix style. That's a blast from the past or something. I don't know. But uh, I, I, like, I, I did, like, the fresh install of my graphics drivers. I, uh, I tried, like, turning G-Sync off and on. I, uh, I pulled up, like, like, the, like, the Riva tuner or frame rate limiter. I tried so many things, and then I just eventually gave up. And then, like, my stutters were pretty bad. It was, it was pretty bad, like, when, I, when you press the dodge button, like, right when a stutter kicks in, so it obviously doesn't register. And you're like, I saw that attack coming. I knew it was coming. Yeah. I, had my, I had my timing perfectly, and I still got hit just because of the performance. 
But then I watched some like other streamers like having it like way worse than I did, where it would like literally lock up their computer for three or four seconds at a time. And it's just like, Jesus, I, I hope it gets sorted out because obviously the game is, in my opinion, amazing, but that's just kind of unacceptable and a real a real blemish on it, unfortunately. So I'm sure we'll spend the next couple of weeks talking about Elden Ring, and I'm guessing as we go forward, we'll slowly and obviously carefully and with plenty of you know heads up talk about later regions of the game so these are just first impressions from the first region or two uh obviously just talking about how the game feels to play how the freedom that it conveys you know conveys on the player and all that stuff so i'm assuming that this will be kind of a regular topic for at least the next month as as you know cullen james josh and chow and maybe even adam make her make their way through it but uh I guess I'll do the one final shout out of the two reviews, as well as Alex has been putting together a handful of good like starting guides up on the uh, up on the site just for like what the classes are, what keepsake you should start with, some early boss strategies, some very basic stuff is up on the site as well. Now we got to play like uh, Adam. I feel like you you chimed in at least once, but I know that you feel like you've maybe been left out because you just haven't been up. You've been playing another recent release from the last couple of weeks. Uh, talk about what you have been playing in place of Elden Ring. So I basically am playing the Final Fantasy VI Pixel Remaster. I mean, that's um, obvious. Like, I will say though that it's obviously Final Fantasy VI was out of the first six games, probably the most heralded, the most well known, the most anticipated of the remasters. And I've seen almost as much. Maybe it's just the, the company I keep on social media or whatever. But I've seen almost as much talk about this as I have about Elden Ring. So I'm curious to hear you talk about what your experience with it has been. So, so I played, you know, all these Final Fantasies a while ago, and several of them I played more than once. But Final Fantasy VI is actually one of those games I never had a Super Nintendo, so I didn't play the original like Final Fantasy III version in the West. Um, so I first played it when it came to Game Boy Advance. But I, I played it once. I really liked it and never again. Um, and that was, you know, almost 15, 20 years ago. How long ago was that? But um, I'm looking at yeah, So my my memory of it isn't wasn't great because like Final Fantasy four and even five um, and PlayStation era and later I've played several times. So I, I have like uh, I'm much more familiar with those games in terms of like memorizing like exactly what happens and the strategies and, you know, all the intricacies and little tidbits here and there but final, final fantasy 6 like i played final it once and i don't remember much advanced. about it advanced final fantasy 6 advanced released in 2007 so 15 years okay so 15 years yeah mm-hmm. um so i have put about 15 10 to 15 hours in and you know i'm just kind of glad that square enix is taking the opportunity to port these games to a platform um, and it's a reasonably good version, maybe not perfect, but it's certainly much better than the previous effort, the mobile release turned PC port. Um, I had a similar takeaway when I, I did a little bit of a mini review on the Saga games last year, the Game Boy games. So I, I, I appreciate Square Enix doing this, even if it's not like 100% ideal or perfect. Um, you know, there's I've seen some people pointing out that like there are some uh glitches there that weren't there originally like there's a small thing i guess where this game when you um when you change your party in your airship it like will readjust your your formation so everyone's in the front row and rather than remembering if you had someone in the back row and they're still in your party things like that like really small things um that you you can nitpick um but otherwise i've been having a really good time with it uh 
now the, before you go on, i think the big the big thing that like people were complaining about and rightfully so was like they just completely like do you remember the 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 opening segment of the the mechs walking yeah. in the snow and missing the opening credits yeah i was just there. about to mention the, yeah. i was actually about to mention um so on game boy advance from what i gather they brightened up the color palette for game boy advance from the Super Nintendo version, because, and this sort of makes sense, on Game Boy Advance, you were intended to be playing it on, like, a tiny, dim screen. So you brighten things up on that version uh, to make it a little bit easier to see. But in this version, it seems like they kind of brought that color palette over directly. So the grass is kind of, like, neonish, which is a little bit awkward because the other Pixel Remasters, the grass look more like a normal forest-colored green um, in... Final Fantasy 4 and Final Fantasy 5. I'm sure there's going to be uh, palette patches or mods to fix that if you want. Similar with the font. Like, it has to be a thing, but yeah. Yeah, it's 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 like I don't. I, I even sort of have to remind myself, oh yeah, the font in these games is terrible because they're it's pretty easily fixed, uh, you know, right away. Whether you do, I just do, I just honestly do the font swap with the Japanese text file, which apparently has better English text. But you can basically, there's dozens of various fonts you can put in the game that I'm people have put together. To uh, find my perfect Final Fantasy VI font, <laughs> I, I yeah. like I haven't even like booted the game up yet because I've just been going through different fonts. Because I'll be <laughs> honest, I don't like the SNES font. I think it's a pop. It's going to be a popular one for this one where everyone grabs the original FF3 font. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it's a bit too blocky, so I might go the like that. Uh, bigger like the Japanese English font which again I really hope they fix that for the console release that we all know is definitely going to happen at some point but it's sorry, the, yeah and then the the opening the credits thing is really awkward I, they, I don't yeah I don't know why they did that so the opening credits if you're not familiar is basically the mechs the Magitech walking through a snowfield it's for two minutes long and normally in every other version of the game it has the credits, like the key people who made the game, um, kind of popping in the in the like the horizon um, or whatnot. So it's like okay, you're sort of seeing the creators, but now there's nothing. So it's literally just like a two minute scene of like these recycled walking animations. It's, <laughs> it's awkward. Like I know Cullen, he thought he actually like broke something with the font yeah. because it's so weird. It doesn't feel I normal. The magic marker font or something. Oh, yeah, like I, because I, because the first thing I did before anything else was I went to our wonderful article on how to fix the fonts in these games. Mm-hmm. Click the article, um, and I was like, oh, okay. Well, they were like they were nice enough to just put some other fonts there, so I could just download them. So I, before I even started, I switched to the FF three font to try. I'm like, oh my god, a square learned that people are fixing the bad font, and did they? somehow make it break if you change the font for the opening <laughs> and then i was like talking to people on twitter about this and they're like no they just didn't put credits in and it's like the whole point of that scene that, that that scene has three purposes look at the cool animation listen to the nice music and look at the credits you kind of take one of those away and the others are just awkward yeah because it, it's just two minutes long yeah because it's like what purpose is it for being that long if you're not gonna like because it's so cinematic when you're seeing those credits there, if you're playing any of the other versions, you're like, oh, so that's what this scene is doing. It's it's a really like atmospheric way to show who worked on the game. It's super cool. Now it's like it's just a bunch of people walking in a really, really long field. It's like <laughs> it's like legitimately confusing. 
So, I don't, do you think they just it. didn't put it in because they don't know who's? Uh, like, yeah, that's the other issue here is in terms of like crediting. Like, what's what are, what are pro- what's the proper crediting protocol here? Like, I I don't I don't see why you couldn't credit the original the original devs, still. Like, yeah. it's not this isn't like a this isn't like some like fan port or like. Fan yeah, mod yeah, or anything yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, the original like, creators like not you for the pre remasters. You know, I think that'd be okay. But anything um, would be better than nothing. I hope fans mod that mod the credits back in. Damn it! Yeah. So the other thing is, is uh, I I have played. I'm up to the point where I just got the airship. So it's kind of like I don't know if I remember the game correctly. Like halfway through the world of balance section, um, and. Uh, so that I've already played through the Opera House section. Now, if you haven't seen it, Alex put out an article. He hasn't. I don't even know if he's played the Pixel Remaster yet because he's been really busy and also sick. But they changed the Opera House section. It's not quite HD 2D, but it's got basically a completely like recreated scene there. Not only the scene itself, but with like vocals and not not even just Celeste's part, but like the the other NPC character is also voiced like an actual like voice actor singing or, you know, uh, singer singing here. And I kind of agree with Alex in the sense that it, it's sort of weird. Cause it's like, you're, you're playing the game generally how you remember it. And then you kind of get to the section. That's kind of like a mini remake. And then it lasts like, I don't know, 10 minutes. It's not that long. Really. The opera house section is not that long, especially like the Celeste scene is five minutes at that. But uh, and then you see this scene and then it kind of goes back to how you remember it. So I do agree that it's a little bit weird. I mean, but it's such a short part of the game. I'm not going to I don't it's fine, but it I, is I, interesting that that's what they decided to do is just kind of recreate this scene with vocals. Um, and we also have an article on our site that Kite translated about how they voice this in like seven different languages. It's like. English, Japanese, Chinese, Korean, French, German, Italian, I think, something like that. And uh, so it's like cool that they put all this effort in, but it, it is just just a little bit weird, just a little. But again, you kind of about, half sorry, an hour, but, then you're over it. Go ahead. Um, so did they voice the parts where you can mess up the song? Oh, I, I didn't mess up the song, though. I don't know. I, mm. I'm Because that'd be really I, I, cool. I, yeah. I actually don't even know what happens if you mess it up. Like, do they actually sing a line that doesn't make sense? Or, I, I don't think know. so. That'd be really good if they did. Um, it's been a long time. I intentionally like, failed that's the, that section, too. <laughs> I forgot you could mess it up, to be honest. Yeah, because yeah, you, you, you have to recite like, the three lines. Parts, you have to pick like the line, and then the song continues. It's like yeah. a mini QTE. And then there's like a later part where you're doing a dance, and you throw the flowers. You have to press A at, like a certain time and it's you know it's it's they give you like an extremely generous window so it's like barely a qte but it's there i don't actually quite remember how it worked in the gba version um i was gonna ask one last thing um did they censor the game like censor as in like the gba changes to to salas's uh, prison scene and stuff that they went with the gba version i think that's gone I don't even remember what happened. I, I never played the original version but i think like salas gets tortured a little bit well she gets punched in the gut then they oh, just okay. leave her. Or yeah, that, that like doesn't that. happen in this version. I think that's just uh, something they removed. Um, supposedly, if I remember correctly, um, around the time the GBA version came out, there was some actual like real life vet in Japan about bullying of high school girls or something, and then they basically like 
reacted when they released Final Fantasy VI again. They took out that scene. Um, so it wasn't like a Nintendo censorship. It just kind of felt like maybe it was in poor taste. I don't know. But it, it, I have a feeling that that's just never coming back in any official release. So it's just like the like DBA in, version, uh, just like the mobile version. I do like in the uh, translations from Kite's article about how the uh, voiced opera scene came to be, where uh, Uematsu was like, I thought it would be nice if we could put vocals in here. It, the, basically, it was a discussion between uh, Nobuo Uematsu and Yoshinori Kitase. And basically, it's like, Uematsu wanted this. What should we do? Of course, you should listen to him and do everything that he said. <laughs> so I just got to like how much how much reverence they still give to him. And he's like, he thought that this would be cool. And then, of course, once they had all the vocals, they... uh sent all seven languages. My understanding of the translation here is that they sent all seven languages back to him. And he like doesn't speak all of those languages, obviously, but was still like incredibly moved by the fact that this thing that this song that was written decades ago now has these seven official translations and performances behind them, which is something that I guess was not originally planned. It was kind of like a spur of the moment off the cuff sort of idea that's like, we should do this. Why the hell not? And then they just did it. So yeah, maybe incongruent with the fact that they also paired it with the, um, uh, with the, the different art style at that point. But it also feels like something that if this game, this story had arrived five, 10, 15 years later, that they would have done it this way. So it's just cool that they had the original, you know, composer behind it, kind of putting his weight and, you know, his ambition behind it as well. Are there any like significant gameplay changes or balance changes they did at the Pixel Remaster? If you've seen, uh, I, th- I think all of the Pixel Remasters are like easier than their original versions. I I couldn't tell you exactly how. I don't know if it's like you just gain more EXP or what it is, but um, I feel like all of them are easier. I know it's definitely the case for like Final Fantasy II. Um, oh yeah, for sure. Where they made your like stat ups much more frequent. Like I remember off topic here, but I remember like comparing my stats in Final Fantasy II at the end of the game, comparing the Pixel Remaster to the PlayStation One version, and I literally had like three times the health and three times the MP because they just like give it to you like candy now, um, which is a little bit weird. But I guess they're just like, well, we're just gonna make this easier i guess and i feel like final fantasy 6 is maybe also easier but maybe it just never was a hard game to begin with i don't know well the original um, game is real easy unless you're trying to yeah. do like a level one run but in the super nintendo version there's the bug where you kill everything with vanish you know you just put vanish on the enemy then you use death and they'll instantly die because magic doesn't miss and the game had a lot of weird exploits right mm-hmm um, they have they have they have tweaked a few things. So if you remember, for example, like Sabin's blitzes in the original game, you could see what like the combination was to do it, but then you'd actually have to like remember it to do his blitzes. And here, it actually like if you do Aura Cannon or whatever, it actually puts like the the fighting game maneuver on the top of the screen for you to follow. I, I, oh, I don't yeah, honestly yeah, either so, way. I don't yeah, really care. Yeah, so yeah, they basically like the had like the interface like with Zell and Final Fantasy VIII when you had to do like yeah. breaks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they just show you like move the stick in this area in this in these directions and press A or whatever. So well, and I I was gonna um, say how I do blitz in the Super Nintendo version is I press down down left instead of you know like the whole Hadouken motion to do it because. It's just the dialogue doesn't register as well. So I'm not sure if in the Pixel Remastered, they're just telling you to press down, down, left for Aura Play. It, it, it actually, like, the diagonals... It, this is dumb. 
But like the diagonals, if if there's if there's a, like a diagonal to the down and left, you can either press left or down, and either in either is fine. So I think I've re- like, I'm, I'm example, pretty sure I've read that that's it's still that way. So you can make a lot of the blitzes easier by just knowing the fact that the diagonals really just mean one or the yeah, other. Like for example, like the Ara cannon, I or I forget which which blitz it is, but there's one blitz that's basically left down and left down down and right right. But I actually just do left down 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 right. Um, <laughs> nice, fine. Uh, so I, I don't know if that's how it originally was or not. I think that's it how it is now, and yeah, and you can just do it. Um, but otherwise, you know, I'm actually writing up kind of a, a kind of a quick walkthrough for it, like I, I did for the other games. That's I, I don't really like following walkthroughs that like tell you exactly like a hundred percent like strategies and everything you should do and like go really into the details about like every single encounter or fight or whatever but i especially for games like this i do like to kind of know if there's any like missable things or things that you need to get within a certain window of time or whatever so i'm kind of putting together just a quick checklist sort of guy just like yeah you're playing through the game just kind of do this and, and when you're at this point you can do this to get this item or these enemies or whatever so i did it for the other five games so i figured might as well do it for this one to complete the set it does seem like people have been enjoying those um so yeah the music gonna be, yeah i heard i just heard like even in some of the trailers that square put out before the release it's like damn that music's amazing i have heard that some of the weird some of the transitions for the final final boss are not in place as they were in the original game, which is another kind of one of those. It seems like this the Pixel Remaster doesn't fumble any major thing, but just the the opening credits being weird, the opera scene being a bit incongruent, the final boss's music not transitioning the way it used to. Just like just like these I little would, nitpicks that hopefully can be like buffed out. I would argue the opening credits thing is a major, major fuck up. No. It's because it it's sets really the weird. entire tone it for does, like the yeah. game. Like right, but, right at the outset, here's his major weird omission. I can see that. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, that with FF6 out now, um, that's that's it. That's all the Pixel Remasters that were we reached the finish line. All we really need now is when they're gonna announce the console. Um, it didn't happen at the last days. Nintendo Direct, it so didn't. I guess wait yeah. for the next one. Exactly. Like I, I guess not that's what they would. Yeah. Well, what was like, like a. Why'd well, it be like Good Octopath time. and it's just like randomly on Game Pass? Like what what the fuck <laughs> or whatever. It's like what would they how would you feel if they make another report that is like the live alive or octopath style? And it'll be like an extra port. I wonder how everyone feels. It's like just wait, wait, wait if they just made full HD versions. I think I think people would be joyful for that. It might I I almost well, think there's no chance of that happening now that the Pixel I know, remastered. but what what if they did? It's like would people be upset because they just bought the Pixel Remastered and now there's the HD two D version? <laughs> I actually had an as interview. I take out my wallet. <laughs> <laughs> I have two things to say. One, Asano was actually interviewed about Live Alive, and he basically said that one reason why they decided to do the pix the uh, 2D HD 2D version of Live Alive was because they need re- they acknowledged that it was a game that was basically well regarded, but wasn't it didn't sell a ton. Obviously, it only released in Japan. And even in Japan, it wasn't like a major, major hit. Um, so they figured like this is a, a type of game that's kind of primed to like, let's redo this, remake it, effectively sell it as a new game uh, in this new art style. And um, that's, a, that's a different situation compared to like Final Fantasy VI, which it feels like everybody has played. And, 
you know, it's it, 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 on a business sense, it would be hard to sell Final Fantasy VI for $50 again in an HD2D version. Where Live Alive, it's, you know, you can do that because it's basically a new game for most people. You can argue if it's still, if it's worth $50 or not, but that's what they're selling it as. Um, and that's the rationale behind it. The other thing I was going to say was, uh, what was the other thing I was going to say? I don't remember. Yeah, it, it is really, it is really funny that like if we're gonna give these games like the the more lesser recognized games the HD two D because we need to like because uh, you're not gonna you're gonna you're not gonna sell a straight remaster of Live Alive to it, like the, the visuals that it had back in the day like it's just not gonna happen so uh, at least you know with the Final Fantasy brand name they know they have like a guaranteed amount of sales I'm just like people if we'll see Final Fantasy six they're like we know it's gonna sell this amount um, oh yeah I remember what I was gonna say it's kind of interesting to note that. If you add up all the prices for the Final Fantasy Pixel Masters on Steam, just the the individual prices, it's something like ninety dollars. If you get like the bundle, it's like discounted to like seventy dollars. So it's it'll be interesting to see like if they release a package on Switch, how they're gonna do it. Is it gonna be a Final Fantasy one through six for sixty dollars? Is it gonna be Final Fantasy one through three for forty dollars? Like I'm not sure. I'm uh, in that same vein, though, because I was someone who, like, since this got announced, like, oh, I want to play these on Switch. If you've you listened to the podcast for... It, I, you, you, he spoiled it. He spoiled <laughs> my whole thing. Yes, <laughs> I am currently waiting for my Steam Deck email because I played a bit of Final Fantasy VI Pixel Remaster. I was like, this is good. This will probably be the way I finish experiencing Final Fantasy VI because I never beat it. Uh... And I'm I'm just gonna wait for my Steam Deck. Are they, email. Are they verified for Steam Deck? Have they uh, got uh, the, the rest of them are. The rest play. There's no way six wouldn't. I uh, mean, I mean, it runs on Android, which is Linux, so it shouldn't have any troubles running on Steam Deck. Yeah, so I just I'm sure that'll happen. And like, if not, then I'll just well, I'll play. Maybe I'll replay four on my Steam Deck, uh, but. I, I more so just want to be like, I cannot wait for my goddamn Steam Deck. FF6, if it runs, is one of the first games I'm going to play on that thing. I just have to hope that the like modding your Steam games is, isn't too much of a hassle on the deck. Because I'm not playing that with that ugly-ass normal font. Yeah, yeah, I could imagine what that would look like on Steam Deck. Because <laughs> I bought FF2 on my phone... Because that was the one I wanted to play on the go, and I thought that the font might be more tolerable on the smaller screen. No, <laughs> no, it was awful. Well, thank you, Adam, for talking about your experience with the uh, Final Fantasy VI Pixel Remaster. Uh, we do have the two features up on the site. One of which is talking about the Opera House scene, uh, Alex's opinion piece on how it doesn't feel like it fits with the rest of the game, and then like the, the other the other side of that coin about how it came to be. So kind of like both both viewpoints on that right there. And then of course look forward to Adam's kind of fishbone walkthrough, or whatever you want to call it, like the skeleton walkthrough uh, that he's currently working on. So the last game that we'll spend a little bit of time talking about in games we've been playing section is uh, one of the releases for next month is Relayer, the strategy RPG mech game from Katokawa uh, Games. Did I have that right? And yeah. there is a public demo for it that just released both in English and Japan that I know that Josh has been playing just over the last day or so. So I'll figure to just give us a short window here for Josh to talk about his experience with uh, Relayer, which is due to come out next month. 
Yeah, uh, this is the the strategy RPG with mechs uh, that I've been kind of looking forward to because this, there hasn't been uh, a lot of competitors to do Super Robot Wars in that space. You know, Degeneration series has you know the, the, they've kind of been like the two uh, most recent ones that like kind of lingered around in terms of strategy RPG with mechs. So this comes from the development team behind uh, God Wars. And so far, uh, I've only spent like maybe an hour and a half to two hours into it. So I've uh, there's a lot of story scenes, and I've only done maybe three to four battles so far. Um, the story setup is you're taking the main character is a, a female named Tara, and she's a star child. There's gonna be a lot of lingo in this game. So the the basic setup of the story is there like there's this extraterrestrial force called Relayers. That are like threatening the the destruction of the universe. So obviously people are like, hey, that's not cool. You should probably stop them. So Star Childs uh carry the will of the stars and are are, are meant to fight against the relayers uh using their cool mechs. Uh that's uh, what I've gathered from it so far. So at the very start, uh you see this flashback with Terra. Um there there was like an incident in Japan called the Gravity Loss incident, and that was like in the year 2049. Um, and just a certain part of Japan on Earth suddenly lost gravity, and so a lot of people got fucked up. When there's no gravity, you're being flung into space. Um, and then so in this flashback, uh, Terra is like trying to hold on to her little sister Luna, and then like and then just lets go because she like did like you know just couldn't couldn't like gri- grip her anymore. So she lost her sister in that incident. Um, fast forward like uh, several years later. Um, uh, she's like now at like uh, some orbital station at the moon, uh, and like she's kind of been kind of go- getting by. Uh, all, all her memories prior to that incident have been lost, so it, it's kind of established like you know she's still trying to find a way to cope with uh, with the loss and everything. And so she has this uh, assist bot called Yodaka, who's like been kind of helping uh, take care of her, and. So uh, on this like moon, they're kind of getting a setup between like who Terra is, and uh, all of a sudden relayers start attacking uh, this uh, area, and she's like, "Well, I've been using this mech that uh, that I haven't been really using this mech for combat. I've been really just using it as like a vehicle to get by because Star Children have mechs uh, with them, and she decides, you know, she's going to take up arms and fight against like these relayers." And then there's like a, another character named Himiko, like is another star child. She's like the leader of the star children. And then, you know, she kind of gets into that classic uh, getting roped into like this war against the invaders. And uh, she finds out like uh, the big story spoiler at the demo very early on is Gasp uh, among this uh, relayer force that's uh, attacking. Um, her sister is there. Her sister is alive. Luna is alive there. And for some reason, um, She's siding with the relayers, and she's also a star child. Um, we don't know why she's star child. I just think Mass Effect. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you have this classic face-off of like, well, the, like you know, Terra's reunited with her sister, but she's on the bad side, and now her sister's trying to kill her because she's resentful that Terra let go of her hand uh, so many years ago. You know, before, and who knows what she's been through in that uh, time. Um, so there's a lot of story set up uh, on that end. Uh, I think the thing that really surprised me is that all the story dialogue has been like fully voiced. Um, I'm on Japanese voice setting because I'm just used to that. Uh, but I think there's English voice acting there as well. 
Um, and the thing that really caught me off guard uh, with this game, like this is uh, this is one of the games that Adam and I were interested in localization wide wise because this uh, localization was being handled by Clouded Leopard uh, Entertainment. And I, I think, uh, I is think this... this is the first game they localized. I, they published Demon Gaze earlier, but yeah. that was localized by NIS America years ago. So they weren't really localizing it. Yeah. It I just totally really... forgot that Demon Gaze, like, yeah, they did that. They put yeah, out I this very expensive Demon Gaze port on Switch that apparently is not good. Did we I, ever, I haven't heard that? anything about it, uh, but. This is the first, like if you know anything about that, I'd be all ears, but have no idea how that trick changed. Like, it kind of, it it kind of came, but I didn't know it came, and then it went, and I'm like, oh, maybe I could trick Alex into paying me to talk about it. I don't maybe, know. Maybe. <laughs> so no, like sure. uh, the the I don't know if this, the demo is reflective of the final state of the English script for this game, but it is pretty rough so far. There's a lot of typos being made, uh, incorrect spelling, uh, some missing words, some grammatical errors. So when does the English version come out? Um, Do we know yet? End of March. End of March. Oh yeah, that's final. That's that's final as hell. That's just Uh, unfortunate. Yeah. So like like for example, like early on, like the the assist bot Yodaka uh, refers to Terra as Master Terra. So for instance, like uh, like you know, Master Terra will see like Masters will have the capital M with it, but then. They'll they'll do that, and then later on in the script, it'll have Master Terra with like a not a capitalized M uh, under. So that that's inconsistent right there. And then you'll have, just have be like, you'll have stuff like, oh, it must be so, and then like it'll just say it must so, and then like uh. and then another, and then for like another another thing, another error in the script uh, early on is they'll uh, Yodaka is saying, oh, you know. I, I really enjoy you getting flustered. Um, it really st- stimulates my intellect. And intellect is spelled correctly. And then the very next line from Terra, st- quote unquote, stimulates your intellect. And then intellect is uh, mis- uh, misspelled there, missing the T at the end. Um, stuff like that. And then you'll have um, things like missing periods at certain points. And then there also like just are some weird localization hiccups that are not technically wrong, like on script wise, but like the way it's presented and how it flows is weird. Like uh, I shared a a picture in the Discord uh, last night when I was going through this. Was there, there's a a certain point when they're like you know Terra is about to like awaken to like you know uh, get the conviction to fight, and then like the, the her inner voice is depicted as, like, a voice echoing in my mind, and then, like, the dialogue, you know? Like, and then, like, how uh, uh, Adam and I were talking about this, and he's like, like, you would, like, phrase this, like, in a, a better localized game as, like, mysterious voice, you know, instead of a voice echoing in my mind. It's like, yes, that's technically true, but it's not, it doesn't really flow well with the way it's too literal. So it was, it was basically like a normal voice, like a text box, and text boxes usually have some sort of label about who's saying it. The label here was literally, quote, a voice echoing in my mind, and it's just kind of like awkward. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then you'll, you'll just have uh, some other stuff um, throughout it, like you'll, you'll have like double spaces where they're not supposed to have uh, double spaces. You'll also have like some some, like like uh text like uh, the tutorial section for the uh like character advancement in this game you'll have like the uh the tutorial text not have uh spacing uh at certain points so it's just it's not like 
super super frequent every line but like within like the first half hour like i was already seeing like a good chunk of these things so i wonder if this is going to be just how it is for the rest of the game or if it's just like some just early mishaps i don't really know but it it seems to be pretty rough on that end it's not to the point where it's like it's totally distracting me from like it being unplayable because i can still understand everything it's telling me it's just unfortunate it's just unfortunate um so storyline, I mean not storyline. I already kind of went through that. Uh, gameplay wise, uh, this is not exactly like how you would expect Super Robot Wars or G Generation to play. Um, the just from from how battles are flow, for instance, like in Super Robot Wars, uh, you it goes by a round by round basis where it's like a player round and then enemy round where you uh, position and attack with all your troops, and then and then you end turn and then it'd be the enemy's turn and then they all do that. This one is uh, enemy enemy uh, or player order is decided by agility. So like you like the highest stat uh, agility person goes first, and then like if an enemy has a high agility stat, they'll go next. So it's not like round by round player phase enemy phase. It's like it, everyone's in the same pool, uh, and then the, how that's distributed is by the agility stat. Um, and then every everyone has a class here. There's like a job system. Where you have like your assault class, your like defender class, um, your your range DPS class, and like your um, your buff debuff and healer class. So um, you'll you generally want to go like, hey, you want to get your tanks up into like the threat range to kind of bait out enemies one by one uh, because uh, they can easily like surround you and like kill you if you're like mispositioned. So you're kind of just early on, just uh, the you know from what I've seen so far, you're kind of scraping, you know, trying to lure out enemies one by one and uh, filter them out, and hopefully that'll that those tactics will change over time. But it's your standard, hey, your this this unit is good for defending uh, your units and taking a lot of damage. You have your uh, your melee and ranged uh, DPS ready to go, and then you're uh, obviously the the one who's doing the buffs and debuffs and healing like more all the way in the back. Uh, dishing out additional support for your troops, and uh, early on you're introduced to like a like a, a job advancement tree where you have like skill trees uh, for each person that they can advance, and once they fill fill out like this constellation skill tree, they can advance to the next class. Obviously, I haven't seen those uh, those classes; they probably won't in this demo. But it's uh, it's going for that uh, holy trinity mechanic uh, inside this uh, strategy RPG. And then that's, an uh, that's an interesting concept to have that in this framework of game. Yeah, yeah, and that like there's there's bonuses uh, when you like kind of sand. This goes both ways when you sandwich an enemy or you're sandwiched in between enemies. Where if you uh, attack with an opponent and there's like a uh, an ally at the opposite side from you, um, they'll do like a backstab and a follow up attack, which will do more damage. I'm sure there'll be more synergies like that as I progress through the game. But that's kind of my initial impressions. Like it's a, it's a really cool like game conceptually, and I'm like interested enough in the story to see where it goes. I think there's enough intrigue uh, behind these characters uh, because they're 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 setting up a lot of like grand mysteries. Like the, like one of the one of the terms in like the glossary is like god relayer. It's like all right, well apparently there's gonna be like this god relayer and like all these certain like uh, hierarchy of relayers you have to fight against. And what are, like well, why did Luna go to the bad side, and what's what's going on there? So, uh, 
I'm I haven't like gone through all of the demo yet, only like the first few hours, and I'm seeing where it ex- eventually ends up. There's a lot of like systems in play of like how you equip your units, like what sort of like um obviously new weapons you can upgrade to, uh new armor. Uh and I and it does have like uh battle animations that aren't quite as long as what you would see in like modern G generation Super Bowl Wars games. But they're the it, it runs pretty well at 60 FPS on PS5 and they're very short and to the point. Uh sometimes in the those other games they kind of get too long-winded and it's like it's cool and that and like a certain aspect, but the at a certain point I was just like kind of skipping through most of them. And this one is like short and punctual to the point that like I'm not really skipping any of them yet. And there are like some cool like battle animations, like when they're like snipers facing off, they'll like fire at each other at the same time, and then you'll see like the bullets like go right by each other in slow-mo <laughs> it's like okay this is so over the top and, and there's like some weird systems too like there's like like one of the tutorial problems like at certain points a sniper can uh, activate overkill randomly and like it'll just like one hit ko the person that it's like targeting towards randomly i'm like oh um that's a weird big it hasn't happened to me yet but that's uh if it happens more often later on i wonder if i can <laughs> I wonder how the difficulty balancing is going to uh, handle that. So that's an interesting mechanic that I saw. Is that something you can exploit on your end, like for your own units? That, no, that I, I like. Yeah, I think I think it works both ways. I think I think that overkill mechanic works both ways. But it's just there's no rhyme or reason or how you trigger it, uh, as far as I can tell so far. It's just a tutorial prompt that says, "Oh, this could happen at certain times." I'm like, okay, so I guess snipers can one hit KO randomly, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> That's interesting. So, uh, yeah, but the, uh, obviously just a demo so far. Uh, just getting uh, a first so, yeah, piece sounds, of the game. Yeah, unfortunate that the localization seems to be kind of in a shoddy state, but it sounds like all the other systems underneath are kind of what you expected, uh, without, with the exception of maybe some of the, the RNG aspects of it. But otherwise, it seems like it's holding your interest I, pretty I, well. I, yeah, I think I think the thing another thing that bothers me before we get off of it is like the resolution of the artwork is really it really bothers me at times. Like there's like this etched uh style to the artwork that's like it's neat, but then like the actual resol- like display resolution makes it all very fuzzy like up close. So like like Tara's hands, for example, like the like she'll have like uh like a, a portrait where she's like she's like kinda like thinking about, uh, about something, so she kinda like crosses her hands a little bit. And like and like her hands look fucked up during that like it's very fuzzy and like very like pixelated and it's like oh man (laughs) it's just i don't know this this is gonna be a weird mixed bag of like there's gonna be some cool things and like some very very not cool things Mm -hmm. that jive with me i think and again the uh the demo is out now in both japan Mm -hmm. and english and the game releases at the end of next month i think the 24th 22nd one of those yeah, it's it's like one of those things where like you can pay more to have early access, and and the, the that's demo, something I mean, that's been more and more common. Like Triangle Strategy has that. Other games have had that. It just seems. I don't think Triangle Strategy has early access. Yeah, wait, well, I not don't not, think not so. early access, but the demo that carries over. Oh, oh yeah, Stranger yeah. of Paradise has it early access. That is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they, they had that. fall. SMT three Nocturne HD remaster had it. I think every Atlas game is going to have it, including maybe the one we're going to talk about. Uh, yeah, spoilers for in a few minutes. Oh, but uh, oh. yeah, so 
Yeah, thanks for talking about Relayer. Uh, and I think that's the last major game that we wanted to talk about for this week. Obviously, we'll revisit Relayer when it actually releases, but had yeah. the chance to get to the demo early, so might as well figured that we'll give impressions here, especially since it had such the the immediate takeaway from like the translation and things like that. Kind of wanted to touch on. Uh, we sure. talked. We've already talked about all the features up on the site related to Elden Ring and Final Fantasy VI Pixel Remaster. The only other one that I haven't called out yet was one that Adam put together last weekend after the podcast, uh, and that is for Star Ocean, the Divine Force. So uh, we have been talking about Star Ocean a little bit on the podcast recently because Adam has played through both Star Ocean Five and Blue Sphere, and of course, at the time that the Divine Forces announcement. Uh, so Adam basically put together a listicle about the five things that he wants to see in Star Ocean, the Divine Force, because it is, you know... A, a potentially a big release for this year depending on how they address it so uh, adam i don't know if you just want to say anything about your uh, about your listicle or just kind of let it speak for itself yeah it's mostly stuff i've talked about on the podcast when i was discussing star ocean 5 and blue sphere so it shouldn't be it's nothing like new or uh, surprising my five things in the nutshell are basically improving the character models because so far up to now they've always been just a little bit kind of dullish and creepy um and also like stiff in their animations like action uh, I want figures them, or whatever yeah that that's 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 what he called it after like the ps2 game but um also i i talked about how spamming is usually uh used in these games quite a bit and i kind of hope that it'd be nice if the next battle system wasn't quite so much of a spammer uh i talked about i like a lot of the crafting and specialty and personal skill subsystems in the games and other subsystems in the games, I I feel like they allow Star Ocean like balance and combat and kind of character builds to be really flexible, rather than rather than just you know getting a level up and you know getting some new stats and getting new weapons at the next shop. You can be really flexible in terms of how you can get equipment, how you can change your stats and your effectiveness of your characters. So I kind of hope that continues. Uh, I hope that the post game is as stupid as it always is, where it just you know, ridiculous bosses with ridiculous health meters and, um, you know, post-game dungeons with uh, lots of, you know, stats and enemies and items. Just I keep that. I like it. Um, give me an ethereal queen that you have to beat three times yeah, with, yeah, a six yeah. wing, with six <laughs> wing no, ethereal queen. Yeah, if there's no ethereal queen, then it's not a Star Ocean game. Right. And it better use mission to, it better use mission to the deep space as the, as the BGM, although they can switch it up a little bit, make a new rendition or something. And then the last thing was, um, what was the last thing? Uh, oh, yeah. The private action system is uh, in all the Star Ocean games. But I kind of feel like it was better in the earlier games than it has been in the more recent ones, which Star Ocean 4 had it like this, these kind of like scenes on the ship, which kind of made them awkward to like initiate and to view. And then Star Ocean 5 had this really tedious kind of system in the towns in that game where you basically had to like, circle back to the inn hundreds of times to see more private actions. Uh, and I, my advice there was just kind of maybe tone it down a bit in terms of like number of star of uh, private actions you can get, um, make, make them a little bit more like interesting and unique rather than just like 300 on a checklist of private actions you can do. And also just make them like easier to seek out rather than the annoying way they did it in five. So yeah, just kind of basically just like I have some fondness for them for the series. It's had a hard time putting it together so here's just some things I would like to see. That's all it is. It's a wish list. But yeah, I mean, Star, Star Ocean has yet to nail 
well, much of anything since Star Ocean 2, maybe, arguably. So hopefully the Divine Force is a inflection point where it ends up being a little bit more than its pedigree suggests that it could be. So it's still not dated for this year, right? It's just other than it's it's, this it's 2022. Year. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. That's what they say. Maybe it'll be a summer release. I don't know. You're just reminding me of like uh, like uh, thinking of like what Star Ocean like sixes private action should be. I'm just wondering like it should just be Raymond's like portrait A stance art rig, but like moving around like not visual novel style. <laughs> His flexing veins or whatever. Yeah, as he's uh, interacting with other people. <laughs> I would love that. Yeah, but so we have that up on the site. And again, that is five things I want to see in the franchise's next entry. So trying to do a little bit more stretching out. We saw obviously Josh's list of monsters we want to see in Sunbreak uh, a few weeks ago or last week. And then this is stuff we want to see in Star Ocean. So trying to have a little bit more fun with some of our features up on the site. So go ahead and give that a look. As teased a bit ago, uh, going into the news section of the podcast, we don't have a long list of things, but we do have a couple of headliners, some of which we were expecting and some of which were a bit of a surprise. We did talk very briefly last week about the opening of a teaser website for Soul Hackers, and this website we saw was pointed to from both uh, Atlas West and the Japan branch. And the announcement came early last week that Soul Hackers 2 is releasing for PlayStation, Xbox, and PC in August on the 26th for the West and on the 25th for Japan. It will have English and Japanese voice acting, and it will release on PC via Steam. And we got a new uh, announcement trailer for it as well. So I have to open this up with saying, who here has played the original Soul Hackers? I have... We're uh, talking about original, or we're uh, talking about the 3DS port. Well, I mean, for us in the West, the 3DS port is your only option. Well, speak if you only speak English, that's original enough. Yeah, I'm, I'm including that as original. Sorry. Yeah, I think I think it's Colin, me, Adam, and Chow. Then. Oh, so that's more than half of us. I'm actually that actually kind of cool. Yeah. All right. So I, tell I think... me about us. I'm I I have only played one Persona game, and I've only played one SMT game, and I've played Devil Survivor randomly. So tell me. Compared to those, what is Soul Hackers? Because when I look at this trailer, it kind of looks like Persona to me. And I know that sounds very basic, bitch, but that's just the perspective that I have. comments are already going to be killing us now. <laughs> All right. Good job. Well, I'm trying to educate myself. So I'm, I'm tell kidding, tell I'm me kidding. what is Soul Hackers? Somewhere. Have you seen the 90s film Hackers or like Netrunner or anything like that? Kind of like your your standard like uh, techno-savvy like, 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 you know, like, uh, those 90s renditions of like picking on like the nerdy kid in school, but like made into a film. Soul Hackers is kind of that, but more uh, like earnest about it, about being part of, like, yeah, uh, uh, like a part of like uh, a nerd crew. It's, uh, it's SMT cyberpunk is the most broad term I could really give it. And, and I was going to cut you off. Sorry. I was going to say the most funniest thing is it's not even the first game of the series, it's actually the second game. Yeah, but we don't want to get into that because that's Devil Summoner overall, and that's that gets a little bit murky. But yeah, Soul Hackers is about kind of just you're part of this like underground techno savvy nerd crew trying to like stop bad people from doing shit to technology. That's and then uh, you have demons on your side to do that. So are but the yeah, demons yeah. like are they like Digimon in this case? Then no, they're demons. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um. So. 
the the way it kind of plays out is it takes place like it's in the 90s but you're in this futuristic city that kind of wanted to like have their cake and eat it too where it's not the future it's the present but it looks like the future Hmm. and um i mean fun fact the devil summoner series is depending on how you look at it still part of the persona series so in the persona universe at a random point in the 90s there was a super future city and then we all just stopped acting like that happened. Yeah. So I mean, Soul Hackers is a is a pretty basic plot. Like it's it's like the most like coolest thing about uh, Soul Hackers back when it was released was like its overall visual aesthetic because it was like you know uh, think of how like you know when Blade Runner released like what what it envisioned the future to be like the the this is like back in 1997. This is what Atlas thought like the near future would be like. Uh, you know, filled with like uh, techno gadgets and like, and uh, their fashion senses, you know, was still would be considered wild about back then and outlandish. So it's um, yeah, it's while the story, I don't think the story is groundbreaking. It is one of those games that focuses on atmosphere yeah. more than anything else, and you could say all SMT focuses on atmosphere, but I think the atmosphere in the world of Soul Hackers is what makes it so cool. It's just, it's the soul more than anything else about Soul Hackers that just makes it so awesome, which is why I'm glad that if you're going to revive any of the old SMT subseries or spinoffs, this is the one they're going with. And a lot of people are saying that it doesn't really line up with like what Soul Hackers did, but it just looks like modern takes on cyberpunk i don't know yeah the, like adam and i were talking about this when soul hackers 2 was announced but a lot i i don't know when this happened but i guess a lot of like people who remember soul hackers you know hold soul hackers fondly is like what they really got out of it was like the retro the quote-unquote retro aesthetic of it because they played a 1997 game in 2013 i think that was when the remaster came out when you know back then that wasn't really the case like you weren't like going to soul hackers and be like Oh yeah, it has like a retro aesthetic in 1997. It's like, uh, no, that, that, yeah, that was just what 90s cyberpunk was. Yeah, and so this I, yeah. is what modern cyberpunk is. So, yeah, I, mean, so I, I think, think people expected some people expected Soul Hackers too to be like retro cyberpunk when the original never really was that. Even though it just came West, across it that sort of way because like of the it. localization, because we were playing it. Out. You know what was it? Fifteen years late, right? more than that, something like that. So yeah. yeah, I don't know, but is it even fair to criticize a game's visual appearance from just having one game? You know, I, I've seen a lot of people criticizing the second game how it doesn't match the first game's appearance. But is it even fair when there's only like, one uh, game like I, I don't know? It's it's weird because like that they like it's weird that they kind of like are by like oh Soul Hackers is a series now that consisted of one game and now that the whole Soul, whole Soul Hackers quote unquote series now must fall in line with the first game's aesthetic question mark because but it, 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 it was kind of weird that like um when so Atlas does these surveys all the time like one a year yeah. and in these surveys they always ask things like what would you like to see again and they basically list all of their major games from the past years like they've listed the Rido games they listed Digital Devil, Digital Devil Saga Devil Survivor and I'm pretty sure Soul Hackers showed up on there too um 
And then when Sega did their financial like medium term plan, this was actually in like May 2021, they actually had like a discussion on what franchises that are currently like dormant should we consider returning to? And people noted at the time that they listed Soul Hackers, which was sort of weird because Soul Hackers was kind of not really a franchise. It was just a singular game within Devil Summoner, which is kind of an offshoot of SMT. So two things to point out. One, clearly in May 2021, they were already working on this. So it's kind of a clue uh, that they were at the time, even if we didn't know it. And two, it is kind of interesting that they've kind of considered Soul Hackers like a franchise when it really was just one game. Um, but now it's a franchise. So that's well, that's yeah, yeah, that's just, yeah, that, that, you know, uh, Soul Hackers 1 is what it was and, you know, people's expectations are what it is. But, like, let's talk about, like, you know, what actually is Soul Hackers 2? What the hell? The, what the hell did they reveal? Well, one so thing I we do want to talk game... about. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to talk about uh, the staff behind it. It's got a lot of staff from uh, crossover with Tokyo Mirage Sessions. So the uh, the development team is led by Shinjiro Takata, who is from who has worked on Mirage Sessions as well as the Devil Survivor series. The artist is Shiro Miwa, who did Seventh Dragon and Seventh Dragon Three, uh, those series of games. And then the producer and director, I don't know which is which in this case because they're both they're credited both. both. Yeah, yeah Iji Ishida who did work on Tokyo Mirage Sessions as well as Strange Journey, and Mitsuru Hirata, who worked on Tokyo Mirage Sessions and Radiant Historia. So I said Tokyo Mirage Sessions a lot, and you, you can kind of see it, uh, I think, a little bit in the art style, even though it, it has a different character artist. Uh, Which I'd, I'd like played- to say, just real quick, about the artist, I'm so glad we're getting new artists for Atlas Games. Hiro <clears throat> yeah. is a good pick to me. Seventh Dragon 2020 kind of had a similar sort of near future it wasn't quite cyberpunk but it was kind of like a modern future vibe and sort of similar i think it's a good fit i feel like for the last five years and this is not bad they're all great artists we've been using about three artists for atlas games you've got the and um i think soejima doi or is it just them yeah i think it's mainly just been soejima and doi and i think well i think some of the persona spinoffs have had different artists but and it's just been them for anything Megaten related in the last, I'm pretty sure, five years. Well, there, were, there was a little bit of confusion that people thought the artist was uh, Suzuhito Yasuda, who did the like um, Devil Survivor and like uh, Dig- uh, Digimon. What Digimon game is Cyber it? Sleuth. Cyber Sleuth. Cyber Sleuth. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's it, art style is sort of similar, but not quite. Uh, and in, like Miwa hasn't had as much exposure as a lot of the other artists so it's cool that he gets on here for a for slackers too and yeah, but yeah looks so, so good. i just find yeah. it actually insane that this is coming to xbox of all things yeah so <laughs> i, I kind of I rattled, I rattled yeah i rattled it off at the stop at the start uh playstation and xbox consoles and pc no switch so and cross-gen so playstation 4 and xbox one as well so just how it is I can't hey man, and no one else got SMT5, so there's just revenge for SMT5, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but that's how it, that's just how it rolls. Maybe they'll introduce a Switch uh, version down the line. That who, who knows? But yeah, this is what we got. Um, th- this is uh, interesting because like the setup for this game is sort of the first game was sort of like uh, how people can like misuse technology for their own ways, like uh, how technology could be destructive. For people, and this one seems to be like an inverse of that, of like 
uh, it seems like like the main like the main characters of this game are like both AI. Um, they come from like this um, this like they're cyber life forms from like Aeon or called Aeons, and like their their names are Ringo and Fig, I believe is pronounced. Which and, I think uh, is supposed to be Apple and Fig. I read yeah. them one somewhere. Hmm. Hmm. Ringo that, is indeed Japanese for Apple. Yeah. Huh. Really. I didn't catch that. Mm. This is why we keep James. No, just kidding. <laughs> I would not have caught that because I didn't know. I'm clueless. And, and then um, they have the uh, ability to soul hack people. Uh, I could have like, guessed that. Sort of like revive their targets, apparently, <laughs> for this synopsis I'm reading. And then uh, this, uh, this game has like staples of, as Chow mentioned earlier, Soul Hackers 1 was the second game in the Devil Summoner series. Um, while this game doesn't have the Devil Summoner moniker, it does have staples of the Devil Summoner series, including uh, right from the trailer, it has Devil Summoners. So I don't know where the uh, the center of people people have had like the weirdest like opinions about this game and reactions. Like, how could this be a, a game? Does like where's the Devil Summoners? Like, it's in the trailer. They call, they say Devil Summoners right multiple times. Like the complex devices to summon their demons is very evocative of how Devil Summoners. Like summon their demons to like these kind of like gun-like things that like protrude out into like a summoning terminal. Like that's all in the trailer right there. So it has some of them. Um, other character playable characters that were revealed were Arrow, uh, this kind of like generic anime dude. Honestly, <laughs> he's just there. He, he kind of looks like like would be what would be a self-insert protagonist design, but like he's just he's not. He actually but, has a voice. Yeah, the trailer seems to be giving him a bit kind of like a. I mean, in like the one line where he like puts the gun up to Fig, it's like he seems like he has a bit of that like kind of shitty detective vibe to him. Yeah, probably with a heart of gold thing, which I I really like tropes like that. I, I, I think it's, I think it's really neat that like we're we're getting out of like the self insert protagonist that you know Devil Summoner One and um, Soul Hackers had. This is actually there's no self insert protagonist. Ringo is the main protagonist. She, and she has a voice and like is an active participant in the story. It seems like it's unprecedented. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's forget TMS. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna get to that interview later. <laughs> um, Milady uh, uh, is one of the playable characters as well. Um, I think she has daggers. She looks pretty cool. She reminds me of uh, Ulala from Persona Two a little bit. Um, and Saizo, uh, who has uh, shark teeth and wears uh, oh, cool. a cool. He looks like Hazama from Blaze Blue, honestly. You just made him a lot less cool. Well, that's what he looks like. <laughs> Sorry. You don't like Hazama, man? I know, I don't like Blaze Blue. <laughs> oh my god. Oh god. I, I hope you know, Cohen, that uh, there's a lot of Blaze Blue fans in this uh, call right now. Oh no, well, I just hate that you all have to hear the fact that Crosstech Battle is the best Blaze Blue game. Hmm. So I'm about to leave anyway soon, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> so the, 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 don't worry, people. The, the, on, on Soul Hackers, Soul Hackers does have demons. But I heard some uh, opinions say, "Where's the where, where's the, the, the uh, demons on your party?" I'm like, "There's demons that you can summon. It's okay. I don't know if that, like, but it's gonna be a, a change from like Soul Hackers, where they're actually like demons that are like you can see their life bars. I don't know if they're actually just like summons that you use for attacks because in the battle interface screen in the trailer. It only shows your like human party members. What's so interesting is that everyone like I'm I'm seeing complaints about this mm -hmm. as if like the most interesting and fun party member in Soul Hackers was not Namissa, 
yeah. which was an actual humanoid like who can do spells and magic and attack and use guns and all this as if you did not rely solely on Nemissa for your entire playthrough yeah come on and this is it was much. it was you and Nemissa and a bunch of people who were like demons who were there that was it so are, yeah the, i don't i don't put it uh succinctly but like the demons are pretty much just fodder for for enemies to like focus on them while you in the miss uh, you the player character in the midst of just carried battles. Yeah, so the idea that combat is going to be designed more and I think that is and I'm sorry for saying the persona word like if that's something that is kind of coming in from persona where all of your party members need to be like at their full potential at all times and they're all using their own special abilities and they all have their own like different ways of doing things that is that's that's cool. I like that. I think this was a really good choice to make for the gameplay. Yeah, but but what we don't know yet is how demon allocation is going to be handled in this game. Like an early part of the trailer that I I I probably misrecognized because like so early in the morning um, was there's like this uh, screen with a shopkeeper and had like a list of demons like in separate slots. I was like, oh, that looks like party members maybe can have like their own demon or like you know multiple demons now and i think that was just like a fusion results screen at upon uh further investigation on that but i do i do wonder like if only one party member could have all the demons or if it's actually going to be divvied up between your party members because that would make sense because they're all devil summoners as far as i know um that would actually make it most similar to like persona 2 yeah um of all things but you know, there's not there's not a lot that this trailer gave us. Into, it's, it's like it's just a first look at the game with all uh, real time footage. It looks really sharp. It looks very bright. It has, um, it carries a lot of like the you know the modern atlas like the style aesthetics of like it's very like the UI very much pops out at you. It's very modern. This is uh, like the ideal first trailer because you said it wasn't a lot, but it also is compared yeah. to what we're used to, especially with Atlas. I mean, Where... it, it, was, it was a great look on this trailer oh, yeah. compared to like sub, uh, several hours before it. There was a Street Fighter Six teaser. Oh god! Of like, here's the wide Ryu. Here's wide Ryu. You can see his dick. <laughs> and That's then, it. And then it's Luke coming the out. Now. We don't know when. And you saw Ryu's foot twitch. It's like, oh, thanks, Capcom. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Capcom. <laughs> but toenails. Ryu toes. Great. But it's like. This is so unprecedented, unprecedented for Atlas because they're like, "Hey, so Soul Hackers Two worldwide release. It's coming out in a couple of months. Here's yep. a ch- big chunky trailer that it gives you a me, good idea." It reminds me of Lost Judgments for a, a, a release announcement, and like, I wonder if there's going to be a big Sega strategy moving forward of like, "Hey, we have these games in production. Let's like you know first unveil them like half a year before or several months before, and like you know just." Have like quick like marketing cycles for these because at the end of the day, people just want to fucking play the game. Yeah, this yeah. is remember. I perfect. mean, compare that to SMT Five, which got its first trailer like two years before its second one. Years ago. <laughs> yeah, like and it's it also it'll keep the hype cycle from getting too out of control. Because I, how many of us here played SMT Five? I did. Uh, Me, did. I didn't. <laughs> it's a so let I mean, SMT Five. It's a good game. 
like that's that's really all I'm trying to get at. Like it has yeah. problems, but it is a good fun game. Yeah. The way people talk in the fan base about SMT5 is that is like it broke into their house and killed their dog because <laughs> they spent 5 years just hyping this thing up to oblivion and then they were let down because they didn't know how to set their expectations. This is like this is coming out in a couple months. No matter yeah, it's like coming you're out not at waiting time too. August and September is I think always a really good window for games like this. Oh yeah, it's like it's coming out it's so soon that while people are, I feel like people are overreacting with how like down they are on it. But it's that's not my point. It's like expectations are set. No one's gonna go into this thinking like I've been waiting for this game for five years. I bought a system to play this game. Oh no, it's the worst. No, this- I've been waiting for this game for twenty five years. I, I mean, oh. to, to be fair, Colin. What if you're a Switch player that really liked SMT5 and now has to buy a non-Nintendo system in order to play this? Uh, go buy an Xbox Series X, I guess. It's like $5. They, <laughs> they, they give those things out Wait, like what? candy. Obviously. They can't get rid of them. Obviously. Fast enough, yeah. No, I mean, like, I, like I, it's a bummer. I'm um, just I'm just fucking around, by the I, way. I know, yeah. I know. I Trust me, I know. But also, as soon as I saw this, this was not Switch. I had a half a second where I was like, dang, no Switch? That's a bummer. And then I thought, I was like, wow, wait a second. Uh, I have sorry. a PS5, and I just, I got a 75-inch television. You know, I'm, I'm fine with this, actually. No, this is I, cool. I, I was fine as I was like, at least menuing in this game will probably be better than SMT5, you know? And, yeah. And I must have a good dream. I thought I was on Switch. I told my cousin's coming to Switch or something. Oh, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta call them back. Like <laughs> you just admitted to lying publicly. Holy wow. shit. Wow. Is it lying if you didn't know you were lying? <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> they didn't know you didn't know. Um, but, at, or and now I was thinking like, okay, but this is Steam Day 1. I could play this on Steam Deck, and it'll probably give me a much better experience than anything SMT5 gave me on Switch. Look, I don't, no. I don't know, I don't know. Okay, Persona 4 Golden is still not running on Steam. No, Deck. actually, it is. actually, it is. Um, it there is. was a whole deal on like um, Twitter the other day about how um, Trails in the Sky is unsupported on Steam Deck. The reason why it's unsupported is that Valve did all their testing with a previous version of Proton. They just released Proton 7.0, which means they have to redo all their testing. But one of the major things that they did with uh, Proton 7.0 was uh, implement their strategy for getting um, FMVs that are using Windows exclusive codecs to work on uh, Linux. What they're basically doing is re-encoding them on oh, Steam's end. Okay, so, so like okay. even the, even though if you go on Steam's like official tool to check what games in your library are compatible, even though it'll say that Persona 4 Golden is not working, Valve's employees have outright said that no, it is working on the current version of Proton, and that's probably going to be the case for a lot of those games. Is that going to be like the, is that going to be the launch of like Proton version? It's already it's already available. Okay. some of the like reviews that came out on launch were like i i forget who did it um but one of the ones that stuck out was just like a steam deck and then a picture of persona 3 running it's like oh my god you can get every persona game running on this thing (laughs) oh i cannot well okay not five but i I mean rpcs3 uh apparently it doesn't run that well but yeah probably not ideally ideally it's been long enough. It's been almost two years since Persona 4 Shadow dropped. I'm hoping that Persona 5 Royal just drops on Steam 
this year. I feel like it's the time, right? Am I crazy? Like this feels like the year we're getting that. Well, how, how, they off on that copium. I mean, if there wasn't a Persona 4 Arena game and a Soul Hackers coming out, I'd maybe agree with you, but I don't know if they're going to squeeze in a Persona 5 port also. I feel like I feel I, well, hey, maybe. we still have two more uh, days for their February announcement. Yeah, that's what yeah, I'm saying. If you go to their uh, if you go to Atlas's uh, Persona 25th site. It doesn't have anything listed. Like I assume Soul Hackers must have been it, but it's gonna yeah, happen. Yeah. Bro, I, it's gonna happen. It's, it's one of those weird probably like the announcers probably be there's Persona 5 collab costumes in Soul Hackers too, and that's probably the February thing. Well, so they already announced. Yeah, so the website I don't doesn't say it. I don't know. Maybe they maybe they forgot they forgot the website existed. They're like, oh, oh yeah, we have to do that something to that. <laughs> But regardless, I'm sure Persona 5 Royal will hit Steam at some point, and if that cannot run on Steam Deck, what are y'all doing? But what if they just released base Persona 5 like they did with Catherine, you know? They didn't release the full body edition. <laughs> I'd I'd begrudgingly play it. I'd be like, come on, guys, this is ridiculous as I'm pulling out my wallet, as I sadly do. I just, I gotta, I gotta get so my fix. What we see first, Persona 5 on PC or Pixel Remasters on Switch? Uh, Persona 5 on PC. I'm putting my bet on that now. Yay, wow. <laughs> you're you're a brave man, you know. I am. I am. I'm I'm doubling down hard on that cuz right. I think that Square Enix is going to take maybe a bit longer than they probably should to get those games on console. We were like, did it really take this long, guys? I'm thinking oh, it may even be next year. Are we pushing back back to next year now? <laughs> I'm thinking the Pixel Remasters are going to be oh, next year. Okay. Okay. That's my bet. You can listen to this podcast in the future and you'll be like, wow, Cohen, you were so right. And uh, we never really? said this, by the way, but by the way, if you purchase Soul Hackers too early, you get the Persona 5 costumes because, of course. So there you really? go. Yeah. The Just Joker like- Ringo costume looks so good. So I like the 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 Jack Frost, but uh, but it was like Ringo. Ringo Frost. Oh yeah, yeah, that's pretty. There's cool. also this was like just I think a day or two ago they announced that uh, Ringo is getting another costume. I forget with how you made. Yeah, it's the maid, but it's specifically it's one of the it's the maid in the big some like a demon fusion cruise ship from Soul Hackers. So it's not just oh it's hey, a maid really? costume. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's that she's it's meant to be exactly that character, and that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, I think that's pretty much it for what we know right now at Soul Hackers 2. I think the only other thing worth mentioning is that the composers uh, for the game's music is uh, Monaka, which is, you know, a lot of people associate Monaka with Keiichi Okami because he did uh, was one of the founders of that. But there's a lot. Monaka spans not just Okami, but so many other composers and musicians. So it's not confirmed or denied whether Okami is involved with this, but his. The, the production that he runs is on uh will be composing music for this game which is rock on monaka does really good stuff a lot of stuff too you it's they're not they're not just in video games they're just they, they do a lot of anime productions as well yeah this is um i'm gonna have to tap out if we're like wrapping up well okay i had to tap out anyway because i got stuff i got to go do but yeah. soul no, hackers 2 it looks so good. This is my new anticip- most anticipated game of the year. It looks amazing. Oh, I can't it, wait. It, it always amazes me how many games we get in any given year, usually from Nintendo, but sometimes from other places where it's like going into the year, making our most anticipated lists. Like 
we could not have ever predicted this. And every never year, in a million years, one or two of these no shows way. up. Uh, so it's cool From that now, we have. Go ahead. I, I, I will oh. say that like, like the way they unveiled this at the Japanese stream is really cool because the the after that countdown wa, wa, was done and it went to the live stream, it it started out with like a live action segment of like someone in the in the Ringo cosplay, but you didn't know it was Ringo yet, and like it just like you know it's like kind of like your Power Rangers Sentai sort of like showdown with like uh, like the goons and then so it's just like focusing on the game's like sound design and like the music and the sound effects of it and i thought that was just really cool like how you just that that's the first thing you really unveil about the game is like the sound design of the game and i, I appreciated that a lot oh yeah um i just hope that every atlas game from now on is unveiled exactly like this where four days before we get a weird teaser site and then okay this is the release date if if they keep this up this is golden i am going to be so happy cuz i love this I, I did not start the year thinking all right soul hackers game that's the next game we're getting obviously nope and yeah obviously cuz you would have never guessed and then suddenly now i'm like okay it's so early in the year and i already have something that i'm looking forward to more than anything else that's and great it, and it won't be that long until we're just literally talking about it and playing it cuz august is not that far away. Wait, really. Colin, aren't you excited for I2? I, look, I have to put my foot down here. Soul Hackers has precedence. Oh, shit. I2 is going to be great, but I2 is like, that's in a couple months. I can survive then. I'm more like, J James, I feel like you know me enough by now where new SMT release <laughs> kind of makes my brain goblins go the worst because I'll lose sleep like waiting for it it was like the closer we get to it the more i'll just like be unable to function just, I, just I, be I, careful I, uh, just be careful driving in the snow that's all i ask oh yeah oh geez <laughs> well i gotta go drive in the snow now to go get uh, <laughs> a pail of water because you know i live in the woods so um i'll uh thanks for having me on no thanks for being gamers. on colin yeah i'll try to be on longer than an hour next time well no this was two hours you you held in there New record. All right. Yeah. Bye, everybody. All right. Yeah, see you, Ben. All right. Any other final comments on Soul Hackers 2 before we move on? I think we covered I, it pretty, pretty thoroughly. I, I find it like really, really interesting that now not only is there like Soul Hack, well, not only was there I2, uh, um, like Nirvana Initiative coming to Xbox, but also Soul Hackers. So it's like, I guess like Phil Spencer's thing about wanting more Japanese games on Xbox is finally like seeing fruit. I really yeah, wonder maybe. this will be on Game Pass because it just has the Windows logo outside. Uh, yeah, so it's probably well. One thing's for sure, it's gonna be cross buy on Windows Store and uh, Xbox if it has the uh, Windows Store logo. Mm -hmm. oh, that's cool. Which means that if you're willing to stomach the Windows Store and you want to have it on both Xbox and PC, that is an option. Hey, I played uh, Yakuza 3, 4, and 5 on the Windows Store, and it was fine. It you was survived. Fine. Yes. You well, survived. Yakuza's 4 and 5 aren't that great, but the games were fine. <laughs> I really wonder how, how well the, the, this does. Yeah, I really, really like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if Soul Hackers is really, like, has much of a, a sellable brand or profitable brand name, but, you know, it's really new and fancy and gets a lot of people looking at it. I really wonder how well it does. That's that's crazy to think about. The like, oh, yeah, I've always been a Soul Hackers fan, man. What are you talking about? <laughs> it would be really cool yeah. if they had a PC port of the uh, of the original game alongside or something like that. 
Because now it's like yeah. I want to play the original, but I got to grab a 3DS. And, then and, and, the, and the digital, yeah, the digital store for 3ds is on a very limited lifespan. So yep. we did have a few other announcements from this week, not nearly as to the same scale as Soul Hackers, but pretty surprising in their own right. So we'll just we'll just go through them. There's three of them. Uh, the first one is is that we got a tease of a re-release for Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance Two from Black Isle Studios and Interplay Entertainment. So obviously last year we had the re-release on Switch and then later on PC of Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance. So perhaps unsurprisingly, we're getting Dark Alliance 2 likely this year. Uh, So uh, did anyone here play the Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance re-release last year? I played Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance when it released on PlayStation 2. Yeah, same here. I mean that that was more like a straightforward port, you know. Like it wasn't really like anything. Yeah, it's not a remaster. Uh, they don't even sell being, it as a remaster. That's why I'm being careful and yeah. saying re-release or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But so. again, just cool, just cool to have these games on PC. Uh, where, well, hopefully on PC because that's because the uh, Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance one ended up on PC eventually. So just kind of for for, for preservation's sake, so you don't have to whip out the PS2 if you want to play this game. So. I know a lot of people that uh, I actually had a coworker who was like not really that into gaming, just a little bit, and they were like, "Oh, Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance too! I love that game. Can't wait!" Like, how do you even find this? Because it seems like a little bit like more granular than typical announcements. But apparently, some people are really hyped for this. Depends on, I guess, whether or not you grew up with it. Here's a game that I think Adam will find interesting: is that we got an announcement for a sequel to Void Terrarium. Void Terrarium was a Nippon-ichi game that released a couple years back. And Void Terrarium 2 will release for PlayStation 4 and Switch on June 30th in Japan. So, Adam, I'll just let you take it away for uh, this announcement. Because I know that you, uh, I believe, are the only one here that played the original game. But thought pretty, at least decently highly of it. Yeah, out of all the Nippon-ichi, like games that are... They've, they released quite a few games that are just kind of... They almost feel just like random. They're just like... Not even a franchise or an IP. They just here's a game that's with well, a now new concept. It's a franchise. Now it is, yeah. But um, Void Orion was one of the ones I liked the most. It's basically like a mystery dungeon game, just in a new style, in terms of being like a roguelike with sort of this turn-based kind of step-by-step combat. Um, so this looks like it's basically a sequel. Um, and the story is not really why you play these games. Um, you know, it was just kind of a solid, relaxing mystery dungeon sort of game with, uh, I like somebody put it this way on our, on our Twitter, with a bump in soundtrack. Uh, it has a pretty <laughs> good soundtrack. Um, so I'm like, sure, I'll, I'll try this out. Uh, I think it's, you might have already said this, it's releasing like this summer in Japan. They, you know, they announced it with a release date already. Um, I assume NIS America will release this because they, they, they release almost, almost every Nippon-ichi game being, you know, their parent company. Not every, not all of them. They miss some of the novel vision. Where's Galleria? Yeah, and Galleria, where is it? But, uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll, if, they, if this gets a localization, I'll check it out. It's just kind of a fun little small game that I enjoyed. Yeah, so... so if, not- the the uh, concept, if we didn't get to that, is basically the world has been kind of polluted to death, but there's one human left, and you play as a robot basically building a literal terrari- terrarium for them to live in. A uh, human is named Tariko, uh, and you're, that's kind of the story premise, is you're going through these ruined areas to basically find pieces for your terrarium. There's both like a, 
kind of a, an aesthetic aspect to it. Like you can find like decorations for the terrarium and you kind of build it like a little house. And then there's actual like functional aspects too, in terms of if she gets sick, you can help heal her if you find certain things and so on. Um, so, but yeah, it's, it's a small little interesting game that I'll probably check out. So what we know that needs or think that we know that uh, NIS America will get to it eventually for the localization, but it'll be cool to see this drop in as kind of like an interesting little smaller project and one that you thought highly of for the first game. So just kind of a cool unexpected announcement that will release in Japan in not too long. There's, there's like a direct like sequel, like like returning main character, returning characters in yeah. general. Okay. looks like it. And speaking of very short teases, like the Street Fighter one, one that's even shorter than that and more of a tease than that is that we had the fifth anniversary live stream of Nier Automata or Nier Automata five years later. And I don't remember which way is more correct. And hmm? I always learned it as Automata, like in in like math courses. All right. (laughs) So my friends call it Nier Automato. Yep, there you go. And then during this fifth anniversary stream, I think some people predicted this, maybe as a joke, maybe seriously. I'm not I sure. Did. Yeah, they, I think Adam got it. Did, was this on record on the podcast? I don't remember. Or was it? No, on I, have it I have it even better. I have it in writing. Oh, really? <laughs> Holy shit. I mean, it's on oh. Discord, but I don't think I have an edited tag next to it. So it's you can tell it's true. <laughs> All right. So, so during the fifth anniversary live stream, we got a short 30 second teaser that basically said near automata TV animation projects start. So near automata will be adapted into a TV anime produced by square Enix and Anaplex. And we, so we got the short teaser trailer and we have an official website. Uh, we don't really know much of the other details other than like the press release says the stage is a distant future in which human beings are routing to the moon in front of an overwhelming force of machine life forms. You know, the premise of the game effectively. So uh, I don't know what else we think about the uh, near automata being adapted into an anime. I've seen some people say that the story won't work outside of the framework of a game, but I guess that's why they call it an adaptation. Also video game adaptations to anime. Most of the time, are usually pretty bare bones and not great production values. Um, we just like had Charlotte one last Nexus, year. Uh, Shenmue, yeah, World Ends with The you. World Ends With You. Like, it seems like the primary purpose to these sorts of events, which is maybe fine, is just like, it's almost just revisiting this, the, the game in this case, like almost as a nostalgia like remember this part remember this part now here's just kind of it's a, it's a really part. weird yeah it's a really weird story because the shenmue world ends with you like shenmue is kind of like a weird nostalgia project or like like you because i assume it was gonna be like oh shenmue 3 is gonna light the world on fire and it very much did it so shenmue is kind of like a weird like you know is this brand still profitable feels like that kind of adaptation but you know and then world ends with you is obviously since the sequel's coming out you know, got got to find an avenue for people who haven't played the game to get caught up. And they even build like the Neo: The World Ends with You as like a sequel to the TV anime. Like a, that's a follow up to it. They even build it as that pre-release, which is weird and because the final day stuff never got sort of matters. Yeah, and and it never got adapted to that anime. So yeah, that that's a weird one. And then with Scarlet Nexus, that was just like a multimedia project of like we're gonna go all out video game and then i've heard from someone else that that anime is shitty (laughs) i'm so surprised at that wow that's crazy but yeah uh, josh watched like three episodes it's like i'm good (laughs) i just i I can't do this i can't do this um 
and that was also a weird way to like promote like the keywords that you could put into the game. Remember those? Oh, and what do those even give you? Anything? Most of the things you get are like uh, you get like a codex page for each character that just gives like a tiny bit more information about them. Yeah, there you get like a few like random. Hanabi's favorite too, food is noodles. I don't know. Yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, and then with, with this one, I I don't know. I'd really be interested to see like who the exact st- uh, staff list is for this project. How many? What's its run- uh, runtime? What's its F- who is F- making it? Like which studio? Yeah. Like it's so it's. I can understand why people say like it'll be difficult to like how make this work as a TV anime unless it like finds its own identity in that because part of like why people like near and the near games in general is like the way it plays around with the video game medium you know like especially ending e in automata like how do you if they if they decide to adapt ending e into the tv anime how do you convey that because a lot of what what people really like about near is like what how they made them feel as they interacted with the game and how the game responded back to them uh through that interaction and that's more difficult in uh as a tv anime i i feel especially if you're running it weekly um so I'm really interested to see like how this shakes out, and if it if it if they do, I, I think this adaptation would be, work. I'd be more interested in if it like it covered like new content, even if it's like like side story content or like side like something that's like a, not a one to one straight adaptation from the game, like something that's just more off the beaten path or something that's more obvious to just adapting what happened in the game. As a like, random example, you learn a little bit about A2 from that terminal, and maybe they could do something with that. And then, and the funny thing is that that whole terminal was basically summary that stage play, right? That was, yeah, for for. And A2. then also, like, there's a bit with like Devil and Popola that is told through one of those uh, text story things. Like, what if they animate that? Yeah, um, how do you do that? It's uh, so I can understand why people are like kind of hesitant about this, and I'm, I, I, I am sort of in that camp. Like, I'm very, very skeptical, but very interested in uh, what they decide to do. I'm also going to throw out a reminder here that Square Enix also, rec- or not recently, maybe last year, announced a mana anime in kind of the same way, oh, yeah, where it's just cool. like, there's a mana anime coming. We don't know anything else about it. Uh, so sort of a similar sort of just a teaser, and that's it. Actually, that one didn't even get like a video teaser. It's just a key art. Okay. At the end of the day, though, like uh, the once again, these are just avenues to just have an excuse for new, more new merch. Yeah, uh, it's basically just... They're really just advertising merchandise and the game. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Hopefully, hopefully it turns out good. Hopefully, they have a really great studio behind it and see how that all works out. Only two more small pieces of news here. Uh, one of which is we talked about how Octopath Traveler Champions of the Continent was finally and surprisingly going to get an English release. They talked about revealing more details about uh, a closed beta test and registration. Well, the registration is now open to play the English version of Champions of the Continent, and the closed beta test will start on March 22nd. So I maybe there's a person here that's interested in it. I, I kind of am. I feel like I kind of got burned on uh, playing uh, Near Reincarnation. Maybe that wasn't the best first mobile game to play. I'm not sure, but I did like Octopath Traveler it, it a lot. It never is. There never is a good first mobile game to play. Uh-huh. So, in, in a sense, it was it was good for you to get thrust into the deep end of like this is how bad they can really get. It's like, and then, and then, and now you now you just have like a baseline of like, well, how much bullshit am I willing to tolerate? And the answer should be you shouldn't have to tolerate any bullshit. 
So it, it seems like Champions of the Continent is a little bit more palatable based on uh, what I've learned about it over the year plus that it's been out in Japan. Uh, so we'll see. But I th- March also just is really busy. And that's just the closed beta, so I don't we don't know details about its full release yet. Yeah, I think it's like somewhere in the summer, so we don't have to worry about that. Unless Soul Hackers is around the corner when it comes out, then just fuck this then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um and sudden break as well, obviously. But eh, I'll I'll probably check it out. I don't know for how long, but I'll I'll check it out. Sure. And the last bit of news, this is pretty minor, but uh the ascent, which came out last year on Xbox and PC will launch on March 24th for PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5. This is like a co-op twin stick shooter with slight RPG elements set in a cyberpunk world. Uh, so I played this last year just on a whim because it was on Game Pass, honestly, just being truthful. And I thought it had some really good art and sound design. I thought the game itself was okay. So if you're looking for a cyberpunk game that's not cyberpunk 2077 or not, Soul Hackers, I suppose, uh, and you're waiting for PS a PlayStation version, the Ascent will launch uh, next month for those two consoles. And that's all that I had listed. So not a lot of not not like not a lot of item listed for the for the news front, but just a couple of big hitters, especially. I'm glad that we spent time talking about Soul Hackers because that was a, a big surprise that we kind of anticipated just for the week that we had the teaser website and got a lot of information out of it to look forward to just not that far away in August, like we said. And then, of course, the uh, the big talk, the discussions that we had on, obviously, Elden Ring, as well as the uh, the pixel remaster for Final Fantasy VI and for Relayer, the new demo. Anyone yeah, else have anything else? Go ahead. Yeah, the next the next thing we were anticipating is like just in a few hours after this recording, there's going to be a Digimon Con this weekend, Ooh. and we're uh, presumably just be some uh, game news uh, of for Digimon there. So, and then we're tomorrow all, is the uh, Pokemon thing, isn't it? Oh, yeah, Pokemon, I know Pokemon Presents is upcoming, so that's another thing. So oh, we'll see what comes out of Digimon, those. We will get Digimon Survive news and maybe a teaser about the next Digimon story. And then Pokemon, there, uh, I'm going to guess, like, RCS DLC is my guess. If there's no Digimon Survive news today, then I'll, I'll hope <laughs> They even teased it in, like, their, like, <laughs> montage, like, thing. So it kind of, like, has to be there now. <laughs> but if it isn't, then I'm sorry. If it isn't, they are bad at this. <laughs> Well, with that, we'll just start wrapping up. Thanks for listening. Uh, like I said, we have the features up on the site. We have the Elden Ring review that I wrote, as well as uh, a feature about the side quests in that game, as well as several guides for some people that are just getting started. We have Adam's listicle for the Star Ocean Defined Force wish list, things that we hope to see in that game as it releases later this year, as well as a couple features on Final Fantasy VI Pixel Remaster, specifically about the opera scene. And then, of course, Adam is working on a walkthrough for that. No pressure, but uh, you'll see that when he gets a chance to finish that up because it is a lot of work. So thank you so much, Adam, for uh, drilling that out for us. And, of course, we have the big article about all the Soul Hackers news uh, for Soul Hackers 2, release date, all the artwork, the the character bios, and all of that. You can find us on all the social media uh, outings at Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. I did put up an Elden Ring review up on the YouTube as well if you're interested in checking that out. And we will be back next week with another episode of the TetraCast. So until you hear from us then, stay safe and take care. We'll see you later. L, Ratio, Touch Grace. The James have been playing Elden Ring this entire time? I've been playing Elden Ring, yeah.